do you like listening to? Um. <laughs> Don't Chart music. <laughs> Chart music. <laughs> Youngsters, and welcome to the 40th episode of Chart Music, the podcast that gets its hand right down the back of the settee on a random episode of Top of the Pops. I'm the person who's talking right now, Al Needham, and the next voices you hear belong to Simon Price. Hello. And Sarah B. All right. Oh, me dear, so good to have you back. I'm just going to sit back here in my little chair and be simply regaled by all the pop and interesting things that have been occurring in your life since last we met. Go. <laughs> you first, Sarah. <laughs> You've got about a million things going on, as I understand it. Oh no, I don't know. It's just it's uh, it's just podcasts, as far as the eye just can see. Just podcasts, um, as far as the ear can hear. Um, yeah, because we did uh, we had a jolly time, didn't we, the other day doing our uh, doing our Q and A. The Q and A is forthcoming. Pop crazy youngsters. Me, Neil, and Sarah sat down and we, we 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 talked a lot of things out. Yeah, we did. Mainly crisps. <laughs> A gloriously splenetic rant by Mr. Kulkarni about the polar state of affair of the crisp world. And is this only yeah. for people who've put tips in a G-string? Yes, only uh. for Patreon subscribers. It's coming your way yeah. very soon, Pop Craze Patreon. You know what people. to do. Yes. Mm. So, Sarah, yeah, podcasting. Um, so you've, you've done that. You're doing chart music. You've you got another one on the go, haven't you? Got another one. Well, it is uh, tomorrow, in fact, as, uh, as, as we're recording now. Uh, I'll be doing the very last... Probably. Uh, Night's Hate Watch, which is uh, the podcast that I do about Game of Thrones yeah. for my sins with uh, Mr. John Tatlock. It's been really good fun. Excellent. And just, just exhausting. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it's really weird talking about a show that you used to love and now you absolutely hate. Um, but we needed to get it out. So, you know, so if any, if uh, the Venn diagram is is uh, between chart music listeners and Night's Hate Watch listeners, it's probably like two dots very far away from each other. But, you know... If anybody, um, if anyone's a glutton for that kind of punishment, then uh, it's um, it's in all the places. It's on Spotify and iTunes and all that. Box, it's dead it? good, Sarah, as well. Oh, you know possibly. me; I'm the, I've got no interest in Game of Thrones, but I, I've I've thrown a tab in your direction, and yeah, yeah, very good, very good uh, chemistry between you and uh, Mister Tatlock. Yeah, you know, we've known each other a long time. We just have a right good yak. It's great. Yeah, yeah, it's nice that, isn't it? It's nice to do this well. I mean, I was going to say I do that for for. Uh, you know, for pennies, and uh, you know, but it's it's not about that. It's, it's we do it we do it for the love of it, mm. and, or the and, hate you know, of it, and the hate and the hate of yes. it, indeed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's all one and the same. Simon, you're always busy, aren't you? Come on, I'm going to be on Netflix. Oh, what? This is really exciting. What? I'm going to be on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've done a bit of TV stuff before, you know, yeah. music documentaries and stuff like that, but um, there's this sort of strand of uh, music docs on Netflix called it's like the evolution series they had hip-hop evolution i don't know if yeah. you watch that uh well they're, they're doing pop evolution and they're doing one Ooh. on Britpop, boomers oh, etc um your favorite. And they wanted somebody uh well you know I, you know pros and cons but mm. um they wanted somebody who was involved in the music press at the time and someone recommended me so uh, i'm gonna film that uh, in a couple of weeks and uh yeah i, I just love the idea that like Presumably now, if I sit down with my remote control, and you know when you key in search terms uh, mm. on Netflix, and you know I'll be typing S 
I am. <laughs> and like, maybe my name's going to come up. Cool. <laughs> it's like an actual option. That's kind of amazing to me. Um, so that's happening. Um, another little plug I wanted to give. Um, plug just away. Something for people in people in the Brighton area, um, Jordan, the punk icon, oh. has got her um, uh, her autobiography coming out. Yes. It's called Defying Gravity. And it's written with uh, former Melody Maker colleague Kathy Unsworth, by the way. Right. Um, and um, there's going to be a little launch due down in Brighton on Saturday the 8th of June at the Prince Albert. And um, I and my other half, Janie Blam Blam, are DJing it. We've, we've had a, a, little, a little club night uh, that we've been doing down here called Up Yours, uh, which is um, <laughs> 70s punk and, and new wave. And we're playing all that kind of stuff at the Prince Albert. And Jordan's going to do a Q&A there, so that'll be a laugh. Yeah, I ran into um, Jordan the other day, you know. Serious? Oh, yeah. was she up in Nottingham and, doing and that? Yeah, she she did a book signing in Nottingham, which I missed because I was working. But on my way back, it, it was still, well, it just finished. And I just thought, oh, fuck it. I went in, bought the book and just said, oh, Jordan, I know Simon Price. <laughs> I was basically bragging oh, yeah. on to Jordan that I knew Simon Price. <laughs> and yeah, she's, she's mint. She's great. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, I, I've not read all of the book yet, but I bet she's got some stories. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other news in my life is I'm wearing glasses. I mean, I know this is old Ooh. to you guys, uh. but I'm joining, I'm joining the ranks of the Great Bespectacled, and it feels kind of odd. I'm still mm. getting used to it. I'm, right, because um, I, I, I got mugged off by, basically I ended up buying three different pairs of glasses. I, it turns out I probably only needed one. Mm. I've got varifocals, which I held off from till the very end because it sounded like a real kind of granddad thing to wear. Yeah. But um, they're actually just the sort of all-purpose ones to wear all the time. But the thing that's freaking me out is, I mean, I, this is way, way old news to, to some of you guys I know, but like... When I look down at my feet, I feel like I'm drunk. I feel like the <laughs> pavement is looming what up at me. I was, it's like, you know, you know, if you're walking in a swimming pool or walking through shallow you know, water in the sea and you can see your feet, but it's all a bit distorted. It's like that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it really is like being high for free. It's, I, I'm kind of into it, actually. See, that's quite enviable, really, because, I mean, I've had glasses since I was like eight or something. So, like, that's my yeah. brain got used to it long, long ago. Yeah, yeah. I've known, I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've rarely known anything different, you know. But what you need to do is next time you, I mean, yeah, you always end up with, like, several pairs you can't decide. But, like, um, mm. you want to get the ones, you want to get the trans- transition lenses that go dark and that, so you've always got sunglasses on. Well, I mm. thought about that, but Janie thought I'd look like a nonce. And not, not, why, um, <laughs> why is this a thing? Like, I, got, <laughs> I was. The, well, look, right. I've, I've a got nonce. a theory that, that all men care about, that, like, the most important thing for men when choosing glasses is to choose the pair that makes them look least like a nonce, right? Because <laughs> I've, I've seen friends of mine on Facebook, friends of mine putting up photos of themselves in spec savers with six or seven different frames on saying, right, honestly, tell me, which one makes me look least like a paedophile? <laughs> and basically, because um, the ones I've got are Ray-Bans, and if I had those Ooh. ones that you just talked about where, where it goes dark, it would look fucking cool when they are actually dark, because they're just like a pair ray-ban sunglasses mm. uh but it's that in-between bit where yeah. they'd be sort of a weird gray color and i look like you know uh, what's his name out of peters and lee either yes. peters or lee um and it's just yeah i don't know i'm, I'm not into it so I've, I've decided i'm you know for for sort of bright sunlight i'm just gonna wear my my crappy old wraparounds as usual oh. i had reactor like repeats in the late 80s and that's uh, a blast from the past that brand name i thought oh i've had glasses since i was 13 and I just always looks a knob ending oh. i, I, I I just assumed contact lenses would be out my price range and they'd be a faff. Um, so I ended up getting some reactor like repeats when I was about 17. And yeah, for that one moment when it was bright outside, you looked passable. But 
inside, you know, or someone would just spark a lighter up and the fucking things would go dark. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. And, yeah. They're better and, now, and the, though. And, They're better. It's like, and they were so... Yeah, I'm sure they are. You don't get the, the transition. They do go... Uh, it's quicker. There isn't quite... The transition yeah. is, is shorter, you know. But also, yeah, yeah, I understand. It is easier for women, I suppose. But it's just... It's so weird how this has become like a, you know, it's shorthand for, for nonce, which is yeah, just definitely. weird. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to yeah. bust through that. Be honest, Simon, you only want to wear glasses so you look more like Morrissey. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> off. Absolutely fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, the ultimate reactor lights. Is it um, Zaphod Beeblebrox in yes. uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Whenever there's danger, his glasses just go black so he can't see it. It's like, all right, well, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> As always, Pop Craze Youngsters, we do nothing before we give a shout out to all the lovely new people who have realised that not ramming a bit of dollar down the chart music G-string for all the arse shaking we do is simply not on. So the latest batch of people who have dropped $5 are Philip Warrington, Sergei Reynoldson, Vince O'Hanlon, Danny Bass, Antonio De Paolo, Rupert Plumridge, Paul Shields, Lorna Easton, Des O'Clochran, John Bruin, Clay Malzoon, John McLaughlin, David Sperry, Jason Brannigan, Elizabeth Kerrigan, and Peter Johnson. Thank you, those lovely people. Thank you. Some very nice cosmopolitan names scattered amongst that, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, we have global reach. Mm. Yeah, we worldwide, baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's not forget the $3 patrons. Murray Thompson, David Dane, Bob Caldwell, Richard Arnold, Mark Sampson, and Rich Frith. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, yeah. Legends, we love you. Yeah. Yeah, coins. Coins count as well, you know. And if you're dobbing in your subs, you've been spunking your pocket money on the chart music top ten. And here it comes. Hit the music. Down two places from eight to ten, Taylor Parks' romantic moments. Last week's number two, this week's number nine, Tony Blackburn and the Gay Ones. A drop of five places to number eight for your dark mates. Down from number six to number seven, here comes Jism. Stay in there. Last week's number one has tumbled all the way down to number six, Hot Rex. A new entry at number five, Mark Chapman and the Bullets. (laughs) Up one place from number five to number four, it's Bummer Dog. Yes. Into the top three, and it's straight in at number three, for Simon Price and the receptionist from Hong Kong Fuwe. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. What is wrong with you? New entry at number two, Floella Benjamin in a dustbin, which means... Britain's number one. This week's highest new entry, straight in at the top of the chart, Chicken Stephen. Oh, a lot of movement in that chart this week. Yeah, but good to see some of the old favourites still hanging in there. Oh, yes. Here comes Jism and Bummer Dog. I think those two are basically like the bat out of hell of this chart, you know? Yeah. Or the, or the love is all around. Or the everything I do. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe Hot Rex just fell so hard this week. Yeah. Well, you know. It's not right. It was uh, burning, the, burning the candle at both ends there. Some of the new entries then. Mark Chapman and the Bullets. What they sound like. I think they're like sort of Blues Brothers or Commitments type retro troupe. 
uh, in suits mm. and maybe trilbies. Mm. Yeah. Simon Price and the receptionist from Hong Kong Fu. Well, you can, you can just imagine, can't you? Fuck's sake. Probably a, a cover of Hello, Hello, Is It Me You're Looking For? <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, it's only a matter of time. Yeah. yeah. Chicken Stephen, obviously, uh, heterosexual Negro spirituals. Uh, Floella Benjamin in a dustbin. That's, I, I, I can't pin them down. Well, all I can think of there is Ned's atomic dustbin. If you if you put dustbin yeah. at the end of a thing, it's just going to be, after you've listened to it, you're going to yeah. need a wacky, wash. Wacky indie. Fucking hell, that. imagine seeing that lot on a festival this year, though. You'd go, wouldn't you? No. <laughs> no? <laughs> It'd be probably called something like the I don't know the the Bin Fire Festival. <laughs> there aren't. You go and see Bummer Dog and Here Comes Jism on the main stage on a Saturday yeah, night, totally. though, wouldn't you? I, I, do they make steel plated all body Wellingtons? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I keep having to explain Bummer Dog to people. Like you know, I'll, I'll be out with friends, and uh, somebody who's I've never met me before will say, "What what's all this Bummer Dog business then?" Because they they sort of vaguely heard about it, and. I, I have to explain to, to a, you know, a, basically a total stranger why I why I find it hilarious <laughs> that in the 1970s children were being sexually assaulted by a stray dog, and and when when you put it in those blunt yeah. terms, it just makes me seem like an awful human being. But you know, so I'm 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 sort of there creasing up with laughter, and people are just looking at me like stony face, like thinking, why is that funny? Which, of course, just makes it even funnier. Yes, of course it does. (laughs) So, this week's episode, Pop Crazy Youngsters, takes us all the way back to April the 4th, 1991, which means for the first time ever on Chart Music, we are smack dab in the middle of the 90s. So, anyway, panel, when people do gather together to discuss the 90s, the 90s basically happened from 1994 to around about 1997, didn't it, in most people's eyes. This part of the decade uh, is uh, criminally ignored, uh, do you not think? This is, uh, yes, however, this, uh, without jumping the gun on it, this episode is like a really weird little black hole, isn't it? Like it doesn't, Yeah. Uh, you know... It's very odd. I don't think it's kind of... Re- well, maybe it is, it's representative of, of one... I mean, any episode of Top of the Pops is only representative of, like, one layer of the times. Mm. But this is just, like... it's it, it was... I had a bit of a weird experience watching it. This is the first time that I've seen an episode of, of Top of the Pops for this podcast and not felt like I've seen an episode mm. of Top of the Pops. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. you know, like, if you... Um, when, you've, when, you've had a, when you've had your tea and you, and you mm. feel... You know, even if you didn't enjoy it, you feel like you've eaten, you know. And I didn't have that yeah. feeling. I was just like, what What just happened? It's very weird. It's the television equivalent of a Rivita with cottage cheese on it then. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind mm. of grimly fascinated by, by this era. Yeah. Because I, I do think of it as a real low point in British culture. Everything was very half-arsed and very shabby. And um, also, seen from this distance, um, culture in 91 doesn't feel like it's moved on that much from, um, you know, the November 89 episode that Taylor and I did? Yeah. Chart Music 30, that yeah. was. Um, which was, yeah. uh, that was the Jackie Brambles and Jenny Powell presented one, when it was all, mm. it was all boy bands and ballads and it had the Mondays and the yeah. Roses sticking out on that. And and I reckon yeah. in 91 here, we're, we're still under that clamp down of conformity that kicked in 
in British culture after Live Aid, uh, with with a heavy yeah. overlay of Americanization and all that, and and the stranglehold of that hasn't, I don't think, been loosened yet. Uh, so it's mm. a time, you know, we we got rid of Thatcher or the poll tax and all that kind of stuff, sort of forced her out of office, but we hadn't got rid of the Conservatives. John Major was a year or so into no. the job, and and this kind of beatific beaming banality seemed to descend it upon everything it felt <clears throat> it felt like yeah. uh, Jill Dando and Anthea Turner were the grinning faces of the mainstream and if if you as a British person weren't grinning along with that there was something wrong with you and you weren't a, you mm. weren't a team player you know you, you know um yeah it's like all that silly alternative nonsense we've put that behind us and and now you know this is the mainstream and and grin along you fuckers and uh, I, I remember um, a few mm. years after this right um, going to Splot Market um, in Cardiff this massive car boot sale uh, and people um, were getting rid of all that stuff right it was like it yeah. was like the entire city of Cardiff had vomited up the detritus of the 90s onto some tarmac right so stuff like mm. like uh, Eddie the Eagle Edwards autobiographies and and, uh, and <laughs> loads of money t-shirts I always think of this as the loads of money years you know um uh, oh, yeah. Pastel coloured shell suits like that couple wore on, on uh, oh. ever decreasing circles. Um, purple yes. and turquoise. Purple and turquoise were, were yes. big colours, especially combo, a combo of those two colours. Yeah, the, the David Icke colours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, David, exactly. <laughs> that is spot on the David Icke colours. And, yeah. and also um, Simpsons. At the time when David Icke was seen as a, like a breath of fresh air. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and Simpsons. And just toys. a little bit weird, but you know. No Sim- different to Mr. Motivator in his own way. Oh, God, Mr. Motivator, yeah. And Simpsons toys, plenty of them, uh, which we're going to come yeah. to. But it, it was it was a horrible, horrible era. Um, the Lovejoy years, the loads of money years. <laughs> um, oh, and the thing with loads of money is, right, and, and I, I think his heyday may have been uh, a couple of years earlier than this, but yeah. um, it, it was kind of... Um, it's one of these things where people, where, where the person making it had one intention, but it was taken in another way. You know, so yeah. for example... Bruce Springsteen's sort of biggest fans will always say, oh, well, we're born in the USA was actually a kind of savage indictment of patriotism and all this kind of stuff. Mm. Well, no, it had a massive stomping chorus, punching the air, yeah. born in the USA, blah, blah, blah. And most people took it that way. And and yeah. uh, when you're, if you're an artist, you've, you've got a certain responsibility to sort of think through the way that, that these things are going to play in the in the bigger world. And I think Harry Enfield, you know, may have been satirising a kind of grasping, grabbing culture of, you know, the Thatcher years. But re- really, people just celebrated it. They, they were like, yeah, I am that yeah. guy, you know, loads of money. It just became a big sort of catchphrase. So it was that era. And, and I, I wanted nothing to do with it. Um, it, it felt to me, because I was looking at very alternative and all that at the time, it felt like the alternative scene and the mainstream has sort of made an unspoken pact to kind of go their separate mm. ways. It's not like in the early 80s where, you know, the alternative to the mainstream was, was so crossed over and so intermingled. But yeah. by 91, I think the two were as far apart as they've ever been. Britpop was still some way off, obviously. It wouldn't even yeah. start wouldn't even start stirring till the following year when Suede came along. Yeah. So it was just a pretty horrible time, culturally, yeah. Um, I think in terms of um, in terms of dance music, there was obviously there we're, we're a couple of years out from um, from Acid House and Second Summer of Love, um, and at this point, I think people, uh, if you look at um, what was coming through in the charts, it's all pretty sort of thin source. But that's because you know stuff was still like the genie was out of the bottle and it hadn't actually gone back in, so there was still stuff happening, but it wasn't 
getting through it was all happening in the clubs and it was kind of evolving on its own and it had sort of because of the criminal justice act and you know people having to uh, work around that so you weren't getting like the the big graves and stuff um or you were but they were they were paid and it was you know the culture had sort of shifted so that was still going on but you wouldn't it it had gone back underground basically mm. so you're not going to see it coming through in top of the box mm, no. so uh if you watch top of the box you think oh this is the dregs of acid house and everything which is not necessarily the truth of it that's just kind of how it these are the kind of you know little bits of uh feather boa and and you know that were kind of left you know <laughs> sort of left over um so yeah there was that and it still had, had still had, obviously there was still like a huge range in quality most of it was was dreck because you know most of everything is but it was you know it was definitely still going so in other words pop craze youngsters if you're still watching bbc4 waiting for 1987 to fuck off be careful what you wish for so what's in the news this week well Roger Cooper, a British businessman, has been released from an Iranian prison after five years for spying. Labour are just about to retain in the Neath by-election. I believe Captain Beanie came behind Screaming Lord Such by one vote. So, you know, a a seismic poll that was. (laughs) President Bush refuses to do anything for the Kurdish resistance currently battling what's left of the Iraq National Guard, which has left a million refugees trapped on the Iranian and Turkish borders. The Orkney ritual child abuse case has been thrown out of court. 20 women from a South Korean fishing village protest against a nearby landfill project by standing outside the company's office with their tits out. Status quo have played a gig at Pentonville Prison. But the big news this week is that Dallas is to be axed and the 80s are officially over. On the cover of the enemy this week, James on the cover of Smash Hits, Vanilla Ice. The number one LP in the UK is Greatest Hits by the Eurythmics. Vagabond Heart by Rod Stewart is at number two. Over in the US, the number one single is Coming Out of the Dark by Gloria Estefan. And the number one LP is Mariah Carey by Mariah Carey. So, me dears, what were we doing in April of 1991? I just wanted to say, um, you mentioned status quo doing a gig in Pentaville Prison. I've yeah. been to one in, well, I've been to a club night thing in Pentaville Prison. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was kind of around uh, the early millennium, like 2001, something like that. Jarvis Cocker put on some kind of club night in the uh, in, in in a prison warder's bar, and it felt really wrong. Wow. It felt really because you know yeah, it yeah. felt kind of creepy and wrong um, and like a very kind of snarky hipster thing to do that you know there was a bunch of us sort of connoscenti from the London media all having drinks and a little dance and stuff while Jarvis and his mates did some DJing and the music was probably audible to the prisoners in their cells and yeah. I just I remember leaving thinking oh we're a bunch of cunts we really are you know <laughs> anyway sorry uh, to answer the question uh, 1990 um, uh, the year before I'd finished my degree um, at UCL um, right. and I stood for election um, as the social and services officer which was uh, at the students union which is basically the ENTS officer um, mm. but also with responsibility for the shops and the cafes and all that and I won um, which meant that after I'd already done a four-year course, French and philosophy, but um, 
I was staying on for a fifth year. So I was like one of these eternal student types who's yeah. always hanging around and, you know, never seems to leave. So I was 22 um, when I got elected, 23 by the time of this episode, um, coming to the end of my stint um, doing the Ents. Um, I basically lived in my office. Um, some some <laughs> nights I'd, I'd stay at my girlfriend's, but I was technically homeless. I mean, I could have afforded a bed sit somewhere if I bothered, but I was mm. practically living for the job round the clock, because it was a round the clock sort of job. So yeah. it felt like there was no point. Uh, so I, I slept on a sofa um, in my office underneath a yucca plant, which really dates it, doesn't it? Um, yes. I think I, I bought the yucca plant. There'll be a plant sale. You know, in the student union at the start of the academic year, they have a poster yeah. sale and they have a plant sale. And I bought it at the plant sale. And um, and I, I used the, the disabled toilets across the corridor as my bathroom when no one else was around. So right. um, a bit of a grim life. I, I wasn't looking very goth at the time. I was having a bit of a break from that because... Um, I was just so busy. Occasionally, I'd goth up, but most days I was dressing like one of EMF, basically, right? I, I had a baseball hat. Um, it was, I think it's a Meldy Maker baseball hat, actually, <laughs> tilted to one <laughs> tilted to one side, and a long sleeve oh. T-shirt with um, one one with black and white stripes on, and there's another one with sort of suns and moons and stars on it, which again really dates it because goth yeah. was too high maintenance a look. Um, yeah, and it's funny. Just I, I got thinking about this. The tiny little details come back to you in a Proustian way. I smell of body shop perfume. Those tiny little plastic bottles. I remember. <laughs> um, I was living off um, hummus and sweet corn baps from the student cafe, and nice. um, I, I would start most of my working day with uh, days with with an hour or two on the pinball machines in the student bar. There was um, a, a Monday night football one and RoboCop, and I can oh, still yes. in my mind I can still hear that the, the little voice things when you when you score a few points he goes i'll buy that for a dollar and I, yes. I just yeah yeah um so so that oh, pinball so, man why did it go away i know i fucking loved it um so um my department um putting on the ends was a leaky boat shall we say financially yeah. uh but we had a great time we, we put on those of cool gigs pretty much by anyone melody maker was writing about at the time mostly kind of shoegazy stuff like uh yeah. the boo radleys and cranes and chapter house who are actually from ucl uh and uh we did comedy we had uh, jack d and rob newman who are on the way up at the time and mm. also big bu- big balls with uh people like uh, imagination um the beat Ooh, bad, yes. bad manners um anyone who i loved 10 years earlier and yes could, and can now get on the cheap, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, the, Before you go any further, Simon, yeah. I think we, it's worth pointing out that the, the Monday night football pinball game would have been uh, ABC American okay. Monday night football, wasn't it? You didn't have a massive head of Richard Keyes spinning around in the middle or anything. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it had a ramp that would pop up in the middle, and you could shoot the ball so it would go up over the ramp and through the yeah. goal, through the goalposts, which yeah, was score awesome. Field goal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is amazing. Um, but w- the one thing I'm quite proud of is is um, I brought in our first ever recycling policy, which um, the Ooh. bar the bar managers absolutely fucking hated me for at the time. They wanted to kill me. Um, but quite recently, actually, um, I, I went to London on holiday, which sounds ridiculous because I only live in Brighton. But um, mm. but Janie and I thought, fuck it, you know, we never get to have nights out in London. We never get to do all the sort of touristy things. Let's just spend a few days up there. And um, yeah. we, we were staying in a hotel really near to um, the Student Union, which is in Bloomsbury. And um, right. I, I walked past it. And now there's a massive kind of display in the window boasting how much recycling they do. And I thought... I started yeah. that, so you know. <laughs> but um, I, I was theoretically working for Melody Maker. Um, I was writing the odd thing just to keep my sort of name in there. But um, I, I hadn't broken into features yet. I was just doing the odd kind of little album review or, or little live review. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, when I wasn't doing all that stuff, um, one song in the countdown has reminded me that mo- um, most weeks I was going out to a club called Syndrome. It was a midweek club uh, on Oxford Street in uh, a venue called Plastic People. And uh, it yeah. was very much the centre of um, what was then called the scene that celebrates itself. But right. um, the name that actually stuck was Shoegaze. And... Um, uh, so, so basically, uh, you'd you pick up Melody Maker, and we're going to come to that in a little bit. Uh, and whoever was on the front of Melody Maker, you probably run into them down this club. So that, Whoa. so I, I was kind of, I was keeping my, so I was, I was merging in that, uh, moving in that world of, of you know, the the, the indie rock and roll thing, while also mm. holding down a day job, which itself was quite, you know, indie rock and roll, shall we say? What's your relationship with Melody Maker? Well. You know, I'd started writing for them uh, late 88 um, and throughout my time at uni, I was doing the odd thing, but I was still very much a foot soldier. I was a pawn, you know, um, right. and uh, I I was still sort of waiting. I, I knew I wanted to do it full time. And, you know, within within a couple of months when the job at the student union finished, uh, that that's pretty much what I did. But um, yeah, I, I I absolutely loved the paper, and I was very proud to have a tiny tiny connection to it. That I was still doing, I was doing the odd down page review. But my my big breakthrough wouldn't happen till uh, the following year when I had a, a whole issue, which is basically me. I, I had a front cover story on Daisy Chainsaw, and I had interviews with the Manic Street Preachers and Public Enemy, all in the same issue. And then Good boom, Lord. like boom, I'd, I'd arrived, you know. But that that was some way off at this point. Good skill, Sarah. Ah, uh, 91. Well, at this time I was 12. I was just about to turn 13. Mm. Uh, um, I don't know. I was, uh, yeah, I had a, um, I had a pet snake. Yes, this time. Well, yeah. Um, Eric. Yeah, we've had this. Eric the snake. Oh, you remember. Yeah, may he rest. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was just kind of, you know, uh, mostly kind of in my bedroom listening to, listening to my tapes, I suppose. Oh. And, you know, taping stuff off the radio. It's like, yeah, sorry, sorry about that. No. Sorry, everyone from from whom I stole money. But uh, yeah, we all did. We were all doing it in my defence. What, what um, tapes did you have? What were you into at the time? Stuff stuff that was in the charts, and I think I had an idea of what was terrible. But also, I wouldn't want to. I've still probably got a bunch of these things that I taped off. Uh, you know, maybe not this old, but you know, around this time mm. or just a couple of years after. Um, but yeah, loads of stuff was. Um, this was such a kind of weird fallow period, wasn't it? Because like. I was never that into Take That, but my best mate, Laura, was into Take That, but yeah. not for another year or so. Um, I mean, Michael Jackson's Dangerous came out in November. Uh, apparently, yeah, a week after... No, a couple of days after Freddie Mercury died, Dangerous came out. So that was all... And I was, I, I did listen to Queen still, and I, I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed that. Yeah. And I don't really have any guilt about that. They did loads of really fun stuff. Um, and yeah, I, that really hit me hard, actually, um, Freddie Mercury dying. Um, partly because just all the kids at school were such cunts about it. Right. And it really, it really disturbed me that they could be that way. Mm. And I didn't understand it at all. Um, I just, I just felt, you know, awful in, in all kinds of ways. Um, yeah, I was listening to, I don't know, uh, Listen Without Prejudice was out this year. So I was like rinsing that. Yeah. Um, in excess as well. I loved them. Mm. The funny thing about, um, this, um, this episode is, um, as we'll get to uh looking at the charts for this week there's loads of like fun kind of rollicking stuff in or ju- well just outside the charts but none of it has made it through into this this episode it's like i want to give you devotion which is yeah. such a hilariously brilliant tune yeah. um and uh, back by dope demand by yes, king b course. no relation uh, that's that's in there or out there you know and uh, i've like- always meant to ask sarah you and Derek b 
Yeah, he's my bad young brother. Oh, right. <laughs> Sarah B and Rakim. There's a, there's a, I don't see that. There's, there's next, next episode's chart sorted out, yeah. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's weird to, um, oh yeah, also um, uh, Unfinished Sympathy, which oh. is just a mind-blowingly sliding record. And I, I went back and Sliding and down this th- week in the charts, alas. I think it was uh, yeah, Melody Maker's single of the year at the end of the of ninety one. Yeah, rightly so. It was, yeah. Um, didn't review it at the time, but gave it single of the year along with you know a lot of other people. And and you just yeah, it, it's one of those. There's so few tracks that really kind of stand above and kind of really you know. So that is, it's a very nineteen ninety one thing, but it it also it doesn't age at all. And you know, just the video is incredible. And, mm. and it's, yeah. I, so I was very, I, I was quite fond of Massive Attack sort of later. So Blue Lines came out this year, but, um, you know, loads of stuff. I'm always like late to the party. It's always mm. stuff that um, kind of, you know, stuff that came out this year that I would be into later, like Orbital, their first album came out this year. And, you know, it was all stuff. So like, you know, dance music was something that I, it was like a kind of it was quite mysterious and alluring and there was it was like a sort of message from a distant satellite you know and it was communicating something that i wouldn't fully understand until quite a lot later in my life mm. but there was just like an inkling of that it's like hearing adult conversations yeah uh, that you don't uh you don't well a lot of music does this yeah, it's like yeah. music about uh you know grown up big stuff and you get a sense of what that's going to mean to you but you don't really have the ability to process it mm. yet. And it's just like, it's like a message from the future, you know? Yeah. Well, I was in the first year of a drama and English course at a polyversity in Isleworth, uh-huh. uh, which funnily enough had been started up in the late 80s by Stuart Cosgrove. Oh, used yeah. to write for the NME. Yeah, he was long gone at the time and uh, the, the, the course was crap, but uh, I didn't care because it just meant I was in London. Yeah. You know, I want to say London, sort of London. London was near enough, put it that way. Shaking London. Shaking smoke, if you will. <laughs> and I was in halls of residence. Luckily, I was in the mixed one because there was an all-male one and an all-female one and a mixed one. And the and the, and the all-male one just stank non-stop of feet, hash, fish fingers, bacon, just basically anything that g- go under a grill. Yeah. And um there was there was one time when uh, it turned out that my mate's next door neighbor could never be asked to walk like 20 feet to the toilets. Oh, no. So he, he installed this massive plastic tank thing with a screw at the top. And uh, he just unscrewed that at night. He put it in his wardrobe and he he'd unscrew that at night and and piss into it. And then when winter came along and the the radiators came on, uh, the oh, pipes kind of like ate through the plastic. And uh, yeah, that the, the whole that whole floor basically had to sleep in the gym for a couple of nights while it got fumigated. Oh my god! Yeah, chatty oh. as fuck. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> I need to go and I, I need to go and recover myself now. This is so foul. Thanks. Hey, Al. That's all right. Cheers. I mean, music-wise, uh, I mean, music was massively important to me at that time to the point where it would choose my mates for me. Yeah, I basically had a strict policy that if I saw anybody in a James T-shirt. I wouldn't talk to them. <laughs> you wouldn't have talked to me then because I owned one. I got it. Uh, well, there we go then. Yeah, I did. <laughs> well, well fuck, you. fuck you too then. I'll carry this podcast on on my own, shall <laughs> But no, I, I mean, I, I had a group of mates. They were all into the, the cure and uh, the pogues and stuff like that. It's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not having that. I was essentially their dark mate. 
<laughs> no, fuck that. Get that shit off. We're listening to Ice Cube. Yeah. But I mean, as far as Top of the Pulse went, no, no, not watching it. There was a, there was a TV room in halls, but no telly in it because by this time everyone had their own portables and everything. So I would go down with my mates, probably on a Thursday night, and uh, set the telly up on me and Miga, and we'd play entire leagues of sensible soccer. Mm. Top of the Pops, no, mate. If it was on, I'd watch it, but, you know, there, there was other things to do. And music-wise, fucking 1991, a glorious year for hip-hop. You know, De La Soul is Dead, Mr. Hood, The Low End Theory, yeah. Death Certificate, Apocalypse 91, Breaking Atoms, the first Cypress Hill LP. Fucking beautiful. And, you know, so I've been listening to Tim Westwood. I mean, there's only two people from that university I still have any regular contact with. And one of them was... Uh, a bloke who didn't even go to the university. He lived next door to one of my mates at the time. He introduced me to Jungle, which was just bubbling up. If I was listening to the radio, it would be the pirate stations, uh, particularly Don FM, which was uh, which was a, a, a kind of like a ravey, early proto-techno uh, station. Uh, I wasn't really into the music, but I just loved the the shit people were coming out with. <laughs> and we'd just, ring, we'd just ring them up and get them to diss my mate, Fat Dave. <laughs> it's a time of my life I'd love to have back simply because I, I'd, I'd make better choices I'd get the fuck out of it and try and get in on a journalism course or something Cause you don't want to do I mean, that mate you don't want to do that <laughs> well for the contacts yeah. I suppose I can't picture you being a thesp, you know. I imagine you now in sort of in some sort of I don't know leotard and I don't <laughs> sort of I don't know and like the you know I don't know yeah I, I can't picture you being a sort of I don't know John Malkovich type I don't know no no <laughs> I don't know man I can I can see it I can imagine were you any being, good. Uh, uh... It was all right, but I mean, the thing was, I'd already been to a college where they were absolutely full on about you are doing this course because you want to go to drama school. And the whole point of us being here is we're going to spend two years showing you how to hone yourself to get into drama school. And a lot of people did. Um, and when I started that course, I, I, you immediately worked out that there were people that, who were far better than you at it. Mm. So it was like, oh, well, you know, I've got no chance getting into drama school. Don't think I want to anyway. I just started script writing and stuff like that. All right. So, you know, that's that's what turned me towards writing. And You know, you're talking about music of early 1991. I just remember mm-hmm. what I was into, in certainly in the spring of that year, um, one thing I should have mentioned, Manic Street Preachers. I totally associate yes. them with that, that exact moment. Because yes. uh, earlier that spring, um, I'd heard Motown Junk. Uh, for the first time, um, yeah. their PR person, Kathy St. Luce, absolute legend, sent it to me. And uh, I was already obsessing over them. I was just dev- mm. devouring their interviews because they were so funny and they just didn't give a shit who they offended. And I loved all that stuff. And um, I- I'd even, I bought a leopard print coat and I bought tight white jeans and all of that. And um, <laughs> But because I was still a low ranking writer at Melody Maker, um, I wasn't, you know, one of the people who was, who was going to be interviewing them for yeah. quite a bit. So I had to sort of bide my time. But um, only three weeks after this episode aired, um, I, I would be travelling up to Manchester to see them for the first time, which, you know, life-changing consequences for me, it mm. turned out. It turned out to be a massive thing in my mm. life. So, yeah, I, I always think of um, 
discovering the Mannix when I think of Spring 91. So, I mean, like, as I said, there's, there's absolutely no way I'm watching this episode of Top of the Pop. Yeah, I, I didn't have a telly, same as you said. Yeah, anyway, I, I, I didn't, well, I was living in my office, but if I did have a telly, uh, I'd, I'd still be out. I'd be out running events or attending yeah. gigs. There's no way, it just, you know... Uh, it, it was it was that whole thing of the alternative of the mainstream being so far apart that uh, it just wouldn't have crossed my mind to think oh top of the pops better watch it at this point. So anyway, Simon, you you happen to have the latest issue of Melody Maker in front of you, don't you? I have uh, April sixth, nineteen ninety one, which is the one that would have been in the shops at the time. Um, it feels like a very flimsy issue, actually. It's only only yeah. got fifty six pages. The last ten of which are just adverts for musical instruments, which. Uh, of course, right. in those days is how Melody Maker made a lot of its revenue. But there's actually quite a lot crammed into those, I guess, 46 pages of actual content. Um, front cover, blur. Uh, Damon with his top right. off, with his uh, wispy chest hair around his nipples. Um, and the uh, little subheading is, get ready for the broadcast nudes. You see what they Ooh. did there. Uh, there's also a, a, a trailer on, on the cover for um, a chance to win the shirt off Robert Smith's back. Um, maybe Damon needs it, although I imagine it might be a bit big for him. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Just as well you weren't in the office at the time, eh, Simon? Oh, yeah, yeah. No. You'd be able to sniff of that. <laughs> I could have probably held that to ransom for quite a lot of money for certain people I knew at the time. Um, <laughs> so in the new section, it's mostly just bands working on their new albums, Pixies, Mission, mm. Elvis Costello, people like that. Um, Ian Brown was back in court this week, um, yes. evading photographers and giving evidence as the, um, the stone roses versus silvertone case entered its third week and it says Ooh. the story says court watchers are now confident that the case will run until april the 9th um it actually mm. dragged on for over a year after that uh, yeah. as, um silvertone appealed against the ruling which had sided with the band and all went on and on and on um yeah. Michael Jackson has signed a billion-dollar deal with Sony and is expecting to be making <sighs> short films for his songs with David Lynch and Richard Attenborough, among others. I'm, I'm not sure if that happened or not. Um, the excellently named Robert Gotobed has left Wire, um, who will now continue as were spelt W-I-R. Um, right. Rough Trade is making people redundant and may be bought out by Geffen. Um, and this is a little weird one. The Camden Underworld have been threatened with legal action by British Sugar for using their Silver uh, silver Spoon logo on flyers for a club night called Silver. Um, in the sidelines section, which is the new band section, uh, we are introduced to 1,000 homo DJs, which is uh, one, of, uh, <laughs> it's one of Al Jorgensen's aliases, and also Miranda Sex Garden and Earwig. Um, The the Stone Free section about Clubland is very excited about the World DJ Convention in London, which is hosted Mm. by Tim Westwood and Pete Tong. Probably your kind of thing, Al, I imagine at the Mm. time. Uh, Live acts such as 808 State, Technotronics, Snap and LL Cool J, and including the DMC Music Awards and the World DJ Championships. And um, the writer of that column, Push, somehow managed to get about a thousand words out of that. So uh, hats off to him for that. in the features, there's a big interview with Vic Reeves, who's releasing a cover of Matt Monroe's Born Free, um, in which mm. the writer, John Wilde, describes Annika Rice as the sunny British telly dolly bird with the gappy teeth and the figure like an ironing board. Different times, eh? Um, Jesus. Here come the 90s. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Loaded and lad culture just around the corner. Um in fact, John Wilde was a big writer for Loaded, so there we go. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Sutherland has interviewed Blur, um, all of whom have their tops off in the photos inside. Oh, um, dear. Some look better on it than others, it's got to be said. <laughs> uh, 
Damon's about to do his first Top of the Pops, and he's very cocky about that. And he reveals oh. he wasn't really into music and bands and stuff like that when he was at school. But he just knew that something was going to happen to him, like becoming a pop star. Whereas Graham mm. Coxon was a real music nerd, which is interesting because Damon's such a massive kind of music head now. Um, mm. Anyway, um, there's a feature on Stereo MCs, which hails ah. hails them as Britain's most accomplished rap act by far. Not sure about that, but there we go. Um, in which um, DJ Nick Hallam, aka The Head, says yes. um, says if you take a group like In Spiral Carpets. I can't see why anyone would want to buy their records. They're just so Ooh. regressive. Most of these groups have so obviously been listening to The Doors, Velvets, Rolling Stones, all the old cliches. Hmm. Mm. Uh, there are also interviews with Ice Cube, which discusses the Rodney King trial, which is going on, um, and with Ooh. Banderas, Megadeth, the Boo Radleys, and the Mothers. There's a techie piece about Curtis Mantronic, and there's a roundup of the Camden Lurch scene, uh, which I think we talked about before, actually. Um, yes. In the Immedia section, which is like the arts and uh, film and stuff, there's a full-page review of Oliver Stone's The Doors. I remember that being massive. Um, and um, yes. a, a, retros- a retrospective on the football zine, When Saturday Comes, which is how a slot got to know you, Al, isn't it? Exactly, Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, on Backlash, the letters page, there are angry letters about Steve Sutherland's negative review of REM's secret gig under the name Bingo Handjob at the Borderline. RIP the Borderline this week, actually. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's an apology for printing a hoax letter purporting to come from crew Alexandra manager Dario Gradi. Seriously. <laughs> uh, um, in, in the live section, Simon Reynolds raving about World of Twist. Um, there are reviews of S-Express, The Lemonheads, Maria McKee, New Fast Automatic Daffodils, Front 242, Daisy Chainsaw, Chapter House and Moose. And there's a small downpage review of the then-obscure Pulp. Um, and in the gig guide, this is the bit I always do um, about where we were living at the time. In Aylesbury, Taylor might have gone to see Chapter House and Moose. I wonder if he did. Um, mm. Up in Yorkshire, had she been old enough, Sarah could have gone to see something called Rubber Leather Plastic in Bradford. Also the Alarm in Bradford. <laughs> um, someone called Elegy in Huddersfield. Um, but she'd have been spoiled for choice in Leeds with the Jesus Lizard, the Boo Radleys, or Four Heads in a Fish Tank. And in the amusingly named Penis Stone, I just wanted to say Penis Stone, Penis she Stone. could have seen Steve Gibbons. <laughs> and, Jesus. Uh, uh, Still going. Yeah. Uh, in Coventry, Neil might have gone to see the Wild Hearts, Milk, the Groundhogs, or the Bootleg Beatles, but I'm guessing he didn't. Mm, um, no. In London, David Stubbs and I, uh, let's face it, just me, uh, could have gone to see Jefferson Airplane, Levitation, Radical Dance Faction, The Three Johns, Screaming Lord Search, Ned's Atomic Dustbin, The Paul Weller Movement, Rod Stewart, oh, yes. Kingmaker, Back to the Planet, Frontline Assembly, Gallon Drunk, Desmond Decker, Doctor and the Medics, or Thousand Yard Stare. And there are loads of comedy poets knocking around for some reason. Attila the Stockbroker, John Cooper yeah. Clark, John Hegley, all gigging. Um, at West Hampstead Moonlight, it just says MSP, which I strongly suspect was Manic Street Preachers, though I couldn't find it in their gigography. And lastly, mm. Al, in Nottingham, you might have got your groove on to Cool and the Gang or Incognito. Mm. Not sure if you did. Oh. Uh, well, I was in London one time. Uh, of course you were by then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Live but at- my heart was still in Nottingham. Oh, still, yeah. Um, in the live ads, it's uh, ads for Julian Cope's Peggy Suicide Tour, um, Ice Cube on his America Cuz Most Wanted Tour, uh, Wilco Johnson Ooh. seems to be gigging everywhere at all times. Um, there's a half-page ad for James, who have made the big time with Sit Down, of course, and The Shaman doing yeah. an event called Synergy, featuring various DJs and MCs. Um, there's an ad for the inaugural Fla Festival, headlined by Christy Moore, Van Morrison, 
the Pogues and Nancy Griffith in Finsbury Park and also in the same venue for an open air gig by the Mission, New Model Army, Killing Joke and Henry Rollins. I did go to that one. Not surprisingly. Um, <laughs> singles of the week. Um, it's the, the Boo Radley's Every Heaven EP, um, reviewed by Paul Lester. Madonna's Rescue and the Wonder Stuff Size of a Cow Get a Kicking. Um, there's, there's a full page review of Bob Dylan's bootleg series, volumes one to three, by the editor Alan Jones. That was kind of the editor's prerogative. He was such a big mm. Dylan fan. He'd just say, Right, I'm having a full page just for Bob Dylan. <laughs> and uh, the, the releases are to coincide with Dylan's 50th birthday, and, and uh, the review ends. Happy birthday, man, uh, Jonesy. <laughs> uh, there, there's, there's, there's a glowing review for the album by Rain Tree Crow, who are Japan under another name yeah. from Chris Roberts. David Stubbs has a sneaking admiration for MC Hammer's shameless opportunism and hails him as, as a breathtaking dancer and choreographer, even though he describes the album Let's Get It Started as truly pitiful. Uh, speaking of David, um, David's uh, Talk, Talk, Talk comedy section that he wrote um, anonymously, but the cat's out of the bag now, of course, uh, has stories including Rick Wakeman has been dead for five years. Shock. Um, <laughs> talking sport with David Silvo Sylvian. And uh, it also takes the <laughs> piss out of uh, Ice Cube, Ocean Colour Scene and Snub TV. Um, the page's columnist, Mr Abusing, as he's still called at this stage, this is before he, he became Mr Agreeable later, um, lays into Rod Stewart, Holly Johnson, Banderas and Roxette. And uh, in the Cunt of the Week section... <laughs> Uh, uh, the 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 cretinous, useless, neg- negligible tosser of the week. Uh, he compares a hapless reader's passport photo to the fucking elephant man's irritating kid brother. Now this is now th- this sort of thing is exactly why Mister Abusing had to become Mister Agreeable because there were complaints when it, uh, it emerged that people were sending in passport photos unawares of of other people, and it basically it was sort of like an early version of on- online bullying, and, and they had to kind yes. of shut that bit down. Uh, oh. And uh, and Mister Abusing had to sort of be, be you know Mister Agreeable for a while before he got really horrible again. Uh, yeah. And from the other chart music contributors, um, I have nothing in. This issue uh, oh. uh no sorry uh neil taylor and sarah don't either because they are years away from arriving at the maker and that's the end of that oh simon i never knew there was so much in it <laughs> so what else was on telly this day well bbc one starts today at 6 30 with breakfast news then it's brave star why don't you play days the family ness and the jetsons after the news peter purvis presents kickstart the arsing about on trials motorbikes competition. Then Jay Nasher makes some muffins and cookies for an American diner in Eats for Treats. Then it's more news. Rosemary Connolly's Diet and Fitness Club. Seen today, which was shaking Pebble Mill at one. And the one o'clock news. The afternoon begins with a repeat of Yesterday's Neighbours, the quiz show Turnabout, then the Australian film Warming Up, where an Aussie rules team are given lessons by a ballet teacher. Children's BBC kicks in with Pingu, Mick and Mac, starring Michael Barrymore, The Further Adventures of Super Ted, Simon and the Witch, Tricky Business with Bernie Clifton, News Round and Blue Peter. After the latest episode of Neighbours, it's the six o'clock news and we've just sat through regional news in your area. BBC Two begins with the 1942 film The Falcon Takes Over, followed by the 1945 film Albert and Costello in Hollywood, then Laurel and Hardy in Toad in the Hole. 
After a repeat of The Honeymooners, it's the American chat show After Hours, followed by a tribute to the archaeologist Sir Mortimer Wheeler in the documentary Digging Up People. The afternoon is given over to the first day of the Grand National Meeting in Aintree. Leslie Phillips picks out his favourite BBC archive clips in Plunder. Then there's a disability magazine show One in Four, the Highland Docky Soap The Vet, and they're two-thirds of the way through the 1961 film Atlantis, The Lost Continent. ITV has started at 6 with TVAM, then it's Lucky Ladders with Lenny Bennett, followed by the American sitcom Out of This World, This Morning with Richard and Judah, The Riddlers, a repeat of yesterday's Home and Away, A Country Practice, and Diamonds TV Weekly, Kid Jensen takes on Alison Holloway in the quiz show Jumble, then it's The Young Doctors, Art Attack, DuckTales, Spats, Blockbusters, The News at 5.40, Today's Home and Away, Regional News in Your Area, and they're just about to start Emmerdale. Channel 4 starts at 6 with the Channel 4 Daily, then it's 5 Minutes of Poetry, the documentary California Offbeat, the documentary series The Horse in Sport, the Scottish eco-doc Fragile Earth Storm on the Mountain, the Wildlife of the Amazon in Noah's Ark, then Business Daily, Sesame Street, the docuseries On the March about the March of Time newsreels, then the 1933 film The Bowery. After Belgica Magica, an examination of some caves in Belgium, it's 15 to 1, The Adventures of Tintin, Oprah Winfrey, the short football documentary series The People's Game, Gaza's Soccer School, Kate and Ale, and they've just started Channel 4 News. Oh, a lot of telly by now. Yeah, it's like a foreign land to me. Like I say, I didn't have a telly. So a lot of that mm. stuff... Look at all I you know. missed out on, all that Australian soap opera I'd be quite Simon. interested in the Belgian caves, to be honest, though. That sounds amazing. Mm. I used to enjoy Kickstart, mm. actually. Um, I wasn't into really? Like, yeah, I mean, which is surprising, considering I had quite a, quite a, quite a bad accident on a, on a, on a push bike. Um, when I was uh, eleven or something, but no, I used to. I I really enjoyed Ooh. watching other people do it. There was something about like, you know, like when you just see other people doing like feats, feats of things that you could never yeah. do yourself, and it's like, but that's too steep. You can't go on that. Wow! Oh, he's jumped over a thing. So yeah, <laughs> I found that like really relaxing. Yeah, it was just show jumping for kids whose parents could afford trials bikes for for the children. Yeah, really, it was great, and the, and the noise, the noise was going nim, 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 nim. with the most inappropriate theme music ever. Yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah, you yeah. know, with something like that, you expect something a bit like you know, a bit motorbiking by Chris Spedding, but then you get kind of like Blackpool organ music. <laughs> and that was part of the charm, I think. All right, then, pop craze youngsters, it's time to go way back to April of 1991. Always remember. We may coat down your favourite band or artist, but we never forget. What don't we ever forget, Sarah? They've been on top of the pops more than we have. tonight from Television Centre. We're in stereo on Radio 1 FM. In the studio we've got the Mock Turtles and Fergal Sharkey and Enjoy. But first we start off with a song at number 30 in the charts. It's called Caravan in Spiral Carpets! Stop, it's a song, it's a song, it's 
It's season 28, episode 14 of Top of the Pops, and it's becoming painfully clear that our favourite TV show is right up Arsehole Street. Ratings-wise, the show is in a decline that will bottom out in this summer when it pulls in audiences as low as 4 million. The BBC are currently churning out a slew of reasons for this. A drop in the teenage population, the decline in single sales, an over-reliance on videos that you can now watch elsewhere, and the fact that dance music is all over the place and alienating folk. Which means that a severe tinkering is due in the autumn, where the long-standing rules of the programme set in 1965 are about to be fucked about with. You know, we'll come to that when we cover Mm. um, a a later episode of this show. But um, there was a piece I managed to dig out that was in queue uh, in late 1991 about the current woes at Top of the Pops. And um, they quoted Malcolm Jerry, who was the producer of The Tube and the current producer of the Channel 4 show Wired. He'd been approached by the BBC um, and offered to be a consultant, but he told them to fuck off when they weren't about to offer him any money. But this is what he had to say. The Pops is glitzy professional, lamely directed, and it has the worst presenters on television. It survived basically as a news programme, which was how it was conceived originally. It used to be essential viewing, though, but now the polemic of pop has changed. Kids want to go out and dance. Apart from that, they're interested in icons, events, Madonna live on Sky, Sinead saying rude words at the MTV Awards, even the three tenors at the World Cup. They don't talk about the top 20 because the chart isn't news anymore. What Top of the Pops is really up against is the who gives a fuck factor. Panel, your thoughts? He's got a point. I mean... Mm. um, I, I take issue with a bit about Madonna on Sky because how many people yeah. fucking had Sky? Half a million people or something. Mm. Um, but there, there was there was a crisis with pop in general uh, at this time, and it, it's not only top of the pops. It's because um, you know I, I teach music journalism at, at BIM in Brighton, and, and, and one of the things mm. I, I I do a lesson about is smash hits, and. Yeah. Um, this crisis that was going on in in the nineties uh, is reflected in the sales figures of of Smash Hits because uh, it was really? it was the best selling music magazine of all time um, and mm. it peaked in eighty eight with uh, eight hundred thousand readers. Uh, right. But um, by the time of this episode, uh, in the space of just a couple of years, it had fallen to half that number. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know uh, something you touched upon uh, in the ex- explanation given for Top of the Pops. The, the, there is a similar received wisdom that puts it down to the rise of, you know, anonymous dance music or faceless techno bollocks, as, as it was disparagingly called, and then that became reclaimed as a sort of T-shirt slogan. You know what I mean? But, um, but yeah, that that the dance music factor, how dance music could be presented in magazines, uh, it was a similar problem to how you're going to present it on top of the pops. So that's part of it. And also just the the actual pop stars were very these very kind of clean cut stock aching waterman starlets which who were pretty boring and they they, yeah. they didn't make for very readable copy. So there was that that decline of the kind of outrageous gobby pop stars of of the 80s. They were all kind of gone. So um I think top of the pops suffered from the, from the same you know a lot a lot of the same problems as as you know pop magazines at the same time yeah you say all that summer but you know the the, the fact that smash hits peak year was 1988 is that's shocking to me 
because that's what that's Bros, isn't it? Yeah, you got you know Bros, Rickastley, Kylie Minogue, and all that. So uh, I think in the short term, yeah, not not exactly the the wacky pop stars we know and no, love. No, but I, I I think you know in in the in the short term that there was that kind of mania for those stars that maybe drove figures up. But after a while, mm. people realised that they're just boring to read about, and it's all very well buying yeah. the magazine stick posters on your wall, but it's just not it's just not very readable. And you know, okay, maybe 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 the dance music thing is is more on point as far as this discussion goes. Uh, but you know, it's it's not even as I, I think most of those um, SAW stars had peaked by ninety one anyway. I think that whole culture was yeah. kind of on the wane. So it was it was a kind mm. of a weird interim time, as we're going to see in the episode. It was kind of the tail end of a few things, but nothing had really got going in terms of something new. Very arse end mm. kind of time. Yeah. Mm. Sarah, I mean, you're you're 12 going on 13 at the time. Mm. How big was your who gives a fuck factor? Yeah, I, I think it was it was quite, yeah, it was quite a dull drummy time. Like like Simon says, I think it was um, just a, a sort of almost like a perfect boring storm where loads of stuff was sort of coming to an end, but nothing had replaced it yet. And like I said, mm. dance music was kind of, it was off doing its own thing. It really wasn't... Um, and it, it was something that people were very involved in that was happening kind of elsewhere, you know, um, and yeah. it kind of wasn't wasn't really uh, punching through into, you know, the kind of this area and into the magazines and stuff because, you know, and it had no it, it didn't need to. It was it was kind of a, a separate entity, I think, at this point. Not not appointment television just yet then. No, I mean, it was on, you know, I would always watch it. But I mean, I think um, it was probably this time uh was uh the chart show on a saturday yeah yes. that was definitely it a competitor was wasn't it yeah brilliant yeah. i loved that show i mean i kind of got more and there was that slightly um i really want to go back and revisit some of those because when it was i mean it 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 got shit in the end as as you know it went the way of all things but there was a period where it was very all the little captiony bits were very kind of smash mm. hits very sort of mm. spiky and irreverent and that was great because it was always a like... A data blast, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like, oh, can they say that? You know, and it was... But it was... It wasn't dismissive or, or, or sort of sneery. So there was that. That was mm. probably an influence on my... my uh, what I wanted to do in, in writing is sort of be... Um, of course, I ended up just gushing about the wrong stuff, like a twat. But um, yeah, that was... Um, the fact that it was so wordy as well. I think I loved that there was loads of text up on the screen. Um, so that was cool, but yeah, top of the pops. I, I top of the pops was something I'd grown up with. So yeah, of course I still I would watch it. But probably around this time, it's that you know the anticipation wasn't really paying off. So you'd go, oh, top of the mm. pops. It's like, uh. and like I said, I probably saw this episode at the time, but I I don't really remember. And I felt like I'd you know eaten a rice cake, and that was about it. <laughs> so your host for this evening is Gary Davis. At the moment, he's tucked in between Simon Bates and Steve Wright in the weekday early afternoon slot. Unfortunately for us, we can track down Davis's activities for the week down to the minute, thanks to his weekly column, Off the Record. Oh, my God. Which, yeah, very good. Which was syndicated amongst various local newspapers. This Tuesday, he got to chat to Jim Kerr of Simple Minds, who was plugging the new LP Real Life. He saw Gloria Estefan knocking about with Simon Bates, uh, probably on his broomstick. 
Uh, he spent Easter Monday in the company of Kim Wilde, and he's had a lovely doss at Paul Heaton's house in Hull, where the beautiful South frontman let him look at his extensive collection of crisp packets. <laughs> oh, man, this... he needs to be friends with Neil Kakani. They would get on yes. so well. <laughs> yes. We've got to make that happen. Sorry, carry yeah. on. Later this year, he would be the last Radio 1 DJ to host an episode of Top of the Pops before the Year Zero revamp, and he'll be playing real-life Monopoly with Gary Glitter for Children in Need in November. So, yeah, a busy man. It would seem so. Last episode of Chart Music, uh, me, Taylor and Neil saw Dave Lee Travis flopping about like a bearded fish out of water. And uh, you have to say that on first impressions, Gary Davis in 1991 looks horrifically out of place presenting Top of the Pops. But I I amended that opinion as as the episode went on. Um, well, I mean, fashion wise, he's uh, he's on point in that he's wearing uh, the same kind of bad boxy denim jacket that appears on at least two of the performers. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, that's you know, he's he's uh, he's got the uniform. Of this time, you know, it's the kind of thing that you could have a stab vest on underneath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Just um, from the very beginning of this episode, it was starting to aggravate me because of the theme music being Paul Hardcastle's "The Wizard" still, and those credits. Yes. Credits are like a sort of cheap computer simulation of being trapped in an air conditioning duct, trying to escape from prison. <laughs> and with the numbers flying towards you and it's just already like just all in my grill I'm like ah, don't like this but as as a yeah. presenter he he doesn't bother me too much um I don't dislike him no. it's that classic thing no. that he's a twat but not a cunt you know what I mean um yeah. he's a safe pair of hands um he's not the gold-chained playboy he was six or seven years earlier um, no. his, his hair is now kind of almost apologetically trimmed back from from its uh, mid-80s bouffant and uh, and yes. yeah he is in that sort of nondescript jacket that Sarah mentioned and I, I sort of feel like he's there as an announcer to to move things along he's not he's yes. not there to project his personality mm. he wasn't plugged into the zeitgeist in 1991 but that's fine right he's yeah. he's he's a little bit of an awkward presence here but not too much and and by the way, it's, it's nice that he sort of found his home again now on Radio 2 nowadays where, where he can just play Wham records to his heart's, heart's content and basically be that guy from... <laughs> mm. He could be that guy from 1985 again. And I, 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 yeah. But, you know, I, I don't begrudge him anything. And, and watching this, I just think, well, fair enough, mate. You know, you're not the coolest um, DJ they could have hired to present it. But you're doing a job, and you're you're, um... you're not Normsky though. No, but <laughs> exactly, he's he's kind of yeah, he's 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 unobtrusive, and he's not dislikable. I'll say that he's not here to get the party started. No. In other words, is it? And the thing is, it's as an episode, it's not very audience heavy either. So it's not you know that the the audience during performances are in shadow most of the time. Yeah. When when you do see them in in the links with Gary Davis, yeah. they are very. 90s people aren't they 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 all look like mm. some of them look like a young Claire Balding um a lot of a yes. lot of them look like Michaela Strachan because it was peak Strachan time yes. this she was a kind of <laughs> yes. fashion icon of of the time but um it's it's very much you know it's it's not like him larking about with them or anything like that he's not sort of groping them or making crap jokes it's just very much he's no. flanked by a bunch of audience members but he's just there to say that was that and here's the next song and you know yes. fair enough yeah yeah he's all right and he's not He's not a creep. I know this. I know the bar is extremely is that's an extremely low bar, but you don't get you don't get the bad vibes off him. So you know that's no, that already no. that puts him head and shoulders above you know 
many of his of his peers. I think you're both right. You know, he he's he's moving the show along. Uh, he does drop a couple of clangers uh, as as the show goes on that kind of dates him a bit. Mm. We'll we'll touch upon those when they arrive. But yeah, I mean, we're treated to the intro sequence that, that to my mind, looks like you're being dragged out of a nightclub on a space station <laughs> by invisible bouncers. As the Wizard by Paul Hardcastle plays, which has now been used on top of the pops for precisely five years and one day. It would be replaced in October when they did the relaunch. But by now, they might as well be playing the sound of the swinging cymbal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or Sail of the Century theme tune or something like that, because it is so out of date. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Davis reminds us that Top of the Pops is all live with an additional stereo simulcast on Radio 1 because our tellies don't have stereo yet because we're not American. Did anyone actually do that, I wonder? Because... Um... You know when you if if you watch football on TV but you listen to the commentary yes. on the radio, it's slightly out of sync. I used to do that. I used to. I was that annoying cunt who be in the pub watching the football and can't stand the commentary. So I'd have the uh, my radio Walkman and have an earpiece in. So you'd know if a penalty and, went in when everyone else is waiting to see. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I would know when a build up turned into a goal. So I could just go, oh, there's something on here. Look, look, look. Yeah. And look like an absolute tactical genius. Yeah, yeah. That all happened when Satellite came in. Yeah. But it was the kind of thing you do when you're a kid, when your mum and dad had gone out and on New Year's Eve or something. And there'd be, I don't know, Ian Jury live or, or Toy Alive on Whistle Test on, on BBC Two. It's Top of the Pops trying to, trying to keep up with the times, isn't it, really? Yeah. He introduces the first act up tonight in spiral carpets and caravan. And he goes, um, Davis, he goes, good Manchester band to start the show off with, right? Uh, yes. So he's, he's from Manchester, uh, and Gary Davis, uh, and he's only two years older than Clint Boone from the Inspiral Carpets. Yeah, but, he's 33, yeah, isn't he, at but, this time? But even though, that, you know, he's only a couple years older, you, you just know he doesn't understand this culture at all. But then, no. you know, why should he? It's fair enough. Formed in Oldham in 1983 and named after a song that had been written by the dad of guitarist Graham Lambert, In Spiral Carpet spent the mid-80s going through assorted lineup changes and first came to the attention of the Northwest music scene in 1987 when they appeared on a flexi-disc given away with Manchester's Debris magazine. After putting out their own collection of songs under the name of The Cow Cassette a year later, they signed to the independent label Playtime, and their debut release, The Plane Crash EP, was picked up on by John Peel, which led to a Radio 1 session. In March of 1989, Playtime Records went under, and the band set up their own label, Cow Records. And after their next single, Find Out Why, was re-recorded as the theme tune to the summer Saturday BBC kids show, The 8.15 from Manchester, they were lumped into the burgeoning Madchester movement. Chart-wise, Find Out Why only got to number 90 in September of 1989, and the follow-up move got to number 49 in November. But their first release of 1990, This Is How It Feels, got to number 14 in March of that year. This is the follow-up to the Island Head EP, which got to number 21 in November of 1990, and is the first cut from their second LP, The Beast Inside, which is due to be released in three weeks' time. And it's up this week from number 36 to number 30. Now then, as Simon's already mentioned, this is the week that the Stone Roses are still stuck in the courts, 
And it's also the week that Loose Fit by the Happy Mondays was sliding down the charts after only getting to number 17. And it's it's fair to say that by this time, Manchester is looking a bit dead in the water. I mean, this band here have always been keen to stress that they shouldn't have been lumped in to the Manchester movement, uh, but but they were, weren't they? Everyone says that, though, yes, don't they? they? Do. Bands always hate being sort of tagged as being involved in a scene, but, you know, we don't imagine these things. They do exist. Yeah. These, these I mean, do you think do you think they'd have been as successful if they'd uh, hadn't been lumped into that scene? No. No, I don't. No. Because um, no. ba- basically, right, in, in terms of their of their success, it's an interesting thing, right? With, with any given movement, if you're not one of the big two, because there's usually a big two in these movements yeah. who, you know, usually divide people into camps, right? Um, you can do quite well for yourself by being everyone's third or fourth favourite band. And yeah. And that, that's where the spirals were. You, you know, so you had the Stone Roses and then the Happy Mondays and then the Charlatans and then probably just sneaking into the Champions League places, you had the Inspirals. I guess you've got to throw James in there as well. But um, yeah. yeah, you know, so you, you can do quite well for yourself by not being the big shot in the scene, but by being there or thereabouts. And so they, they can say they weren't part of it. I mean, you mentioned that uh, the fanzine um, Debris that they, they released a record with. That, that, that was uh, Dave Haslam's fanzine right. of course was the uh, DJ at the, at the Hacienda so they, they were all, they were connected to all that stuff whether they like it or not you know. mm. um, I'll admit they were the most kind of indie pop of the Manchester bands if you know what I mean from yeah. from that uh, sort of wacky name to those cool as fuck t-shirts with a cartoon oh, cow yes. on it which they probably made more money from that than, than from record sales uh, but yeah. mostly because they had that 60s thing going on that all the trappings of I mean the haircuts for a start right oh yes uh, so um Tom Hingley had a haircut like a medieval village idiot yes. wrongly accused of buggering a goat. And uh, yes. um, Cl- Clint Boone also looked like the man who was going <laughs> to manacle him to the stocks in the market square yes. for, for doing that. And, and But above all, there's, there's that, that keyboard sound. I mean, Clint Boone's gimmick was that Farfisa compact duo, which was literally yeah. from 1966. Uh, yeah. and, and because of that kind of retro aesthetic um, for which the stereo MC slagged them off in, in that week's Melody Maker... Um, I think they they might be the least likely signing to mute records ever, because um, yes. they you know which they were. I I can never figure out how that happened, um, and 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 this this song in particular, I I, I don't remember it at all. I mean, I won't no. remember it. I I didn't. I don't remember it from then. I won't remember it when we finish talking about it. Now the lyrics no. are just nothing. Back of an envelope bollocks. There's there's no yeah. there's no chorus. It's just the word caravan at the top of the octave. And and yeah. that's it. It's just, I mean, I don't mind some of their stuff. That the the, the Marky Smith collaboration, I want you. And there's another single called Joe by them that I quite like. But mostly they weren't my thing at all. And this you know caravan ropey as fuck. I'm saying. Yeah, I couldn't remember it while I was listening to it. I mean, it's like <laughs> I've I've got like I can't. It's hard for me to tell now what's catchy and what isn't because my brain will play back if there's. A thing, if there's a song or a jingle or whatever, I've probably said this before. Um, my brain will immediately play it back as soon as it's finished. Um, mm, didn't happen yeah. with this, so it was kind of almost a relief actually, because that's a very annoying thing that happens mm. in my brain. Um, but yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty nothing, isn't it? And I mean, yeah. Tom Tom Hingley, bless him, you know, not a very charismatic performer. Um, no, no to, he's got a pair of sunglasses on a chain round his neck that <laughs> makes him look like a bass and cutted Larry Grayson. 
I mean, I'm off expecting off expecting Arliss Sinclair to come on with some maracas in a minute. And... Well, he's he's also wearing the, uh, the the bad boxy denim jacket, which is very much like mm. Gary's. Um, and and there's yeah. the bowl cut. I mean, uh, all I could think of was you've seen No Country for Old Men, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh it's my like, God! Yes. It's like a very mild mannered Anton Chigger. <laughs> you know, you just expect him to go, like, call it. You know, get out a dime <laughs> and flip it in the air. But although he's so he's he's kind of so nice, you 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 know he wouldn't have a bolt gun. He'd have like a, a pogo stick or a bottle of Lamborghini. <laughs> you know, um, I mean the crowd seemed to like it, but you know it, it's um... well the crowd seemed to like fucking everything. I mean you, we've mentioned already that we don't see much of the crowd, but oh fucking hell, we hear them. The fucking granny clapping begins right from the off, <laughs> and the and the whooping. I mean, it's, it's, it's just non-stop clapping and whooping. Yeah, the woo the woo girls are out in uh, in force. Yeah, yeah, just because you know you gotta sometimes you just gotta go woo. Because you can tell that sometimes yeah. people just go woo to to try to jumpstart their enthusiasm about a thing. Yes. Yeah, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Um, yeah, there's there's so little to say about it. Yeah, I didn't mind some of their stuff, but now it's like I'm I'm not gonna like dig out this album that so oh, oh yeah so after this um uh gary says oh there's an album coming out um soon yeah. the beast inside and it's like it's so it's so inappropriately named there's such an inoffensive band yes. it's like how far <laughs> inside is that beast <laughs> as an opener as well for top of the pops it's just it's uh, the party's not started has it not really no um everyone's kind of hanging up their coats and you know <laughs> yes uh, yeah everyone's hanging up their bad boxy denim jacket and you know trying to get <laughs> in the mood but um the the kind of uh, the the comic comic tragedy of of uh, of in spiral carpets now is that um yes uh, clint is boone yes Clint Boone uh, kept the name, basically, and so he, he's still kind of in Spiral's guy. Tom Hingley is now fronting an In Spiral's tribute band called, no, called The Carpets. Oh, dear. Mate. Every time they, they do a, a, a Manchester tribute band festival thing with the Clone Roses and, and all that shit, Clint Boone's always on it doing a DJ set. Yeah. He's the actual only person from that era who's still doing it but you know making a living out of it, it's a good show to him yeah yeah, yeah i'm i'm i um i met him once at a, um an in the city thing at manchester you know lovely guy really sweet really um really enthusiastic i mean you know quite quite potty i think and quite uh you know yeah and and you can see but the thing is that he's he's kind of the one who's got any sort of presence in the band and so you occasionally get him kind of i'm not saying it's a, it's not necessarily a good presence but it is some presence you know so you get him kind of yeah. eyeing the camera and he's got he's got on also a, a bad boxy denim jacket but it's like neon yellow or, yeah. or green one of the other I don't which, know, just... uh, which i thought was a sou'wester <laughs> because they were going on about the rain and caravans and all that kind of stuff ah, you got galoshes on i don't even know nah, they... <laughs> what yeah. even are galoshes um, Are yeah. they things you put over your shoes, like plastic covers you put over oh, your shoes? Mm, I don't yeah. know this from like Beatrix yeah. Potter, where there was a frog wearing them, which you'd think was, you know, frogs don't need them. What the fuck? What yeah, was, kind of yeah. what was built she in on? waterproofing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Boon, right? I, I bet, I bet he's got an amazing record collection. I bet he's one of these people yeah. that you know. Um, the the Nuggets compilations. I bet he's got all yeah. the original records from yeah, the, yeah. you know they're on the but. Um, none, none of that really sort of filters through and into no. spirals music, does it? You know, no. I'm, I'm sure he's got brilliant taste, but it's just, 
some people can channel that and other people can't. But, I mean, yeah, yeah, as you said, Gary Davis gets over the fact that they're a Manchester band and that at the time was supposed to be your gold seal of quality, man. Yeah, and I think that by having them at the start of the episode, Top of the Pops think they're doing something really kind of trendy. You know, it's like yeah. it's like you know, here we go. This is this is uh, where where sort of young people's thinking is at right now. Let's have a bit yes. of that, even though it's yeah. already, it's, it already feels a bit past it. You know, yeah, because I, I may have mentioned this before, but I remember the, one of the first few weeks I was at university, I went to one of the many shitty gigs. Uh, at RSU, I wish you were running it, Simon. <laughs> and uh, this band came out and go, "Oh, hey, we're from Manchester and all this kind of stuff." And I'd seen them in clubs in Nottingham that come from Derby. Yeah, it's a lot of that. And it's like, oh, I'm not having this. This is a cod, and and just turned on my heel and walked away. Yeah, a lot of people putting on fake mank accents. Yeah, that's that's not really how it works, is it? You know, you can't just you no. can't just invoke that and go, "Yeah, this is us." I mean, you know, you're probably yeah. in trouble immediately if that's what your if that's your. Uh, you know, it's almost like sort of, uh, it's like patriotism, isn't it? It's like, yeah, no, I'm English. It's like, well, so what? You know, what else have you got? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Ian Brown yeah. said, it's not where you're from, it's where you're at. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm, I mean, you know, this is this is in no way cutting edge at all, but there is one cutting edge element of, the, of this performance because I, I do believe it's one of the earliest examples of an overhead crowd sweep, beloved of youth TV oh, shows right, okay. of the 90s and uh, a Noel's house party. <laughs> You've got that weird sort of um, moving graphics thing for the band names and stuff like that. Yeah, and I noticed that uh, they they do some, mm. something weird with Gary Davis. Every time he announces something, they kind of swirl him with the computer graphics. Mm. You know, so for exa- yes. example, in the next link, they swirl him into the shape of a donut, or or um, maybe maybe one of one of those yes. inflatable cushion toilet seats for people with hemorrhoids. <laughs> so the following week, Caravan dropped one place to number thirty-one and slid right out of the charts. The follow-up, Please Be Cruel, only got to number fifty in June of this year, but they go on to notch up seven more top forty hits before splitting up for the first time in nineteen ninety-five. Can anybody hum any of them? <laughs> a month after this performance, they went on a US tour, and when they came back to the UK, they lost their guitar technician, who had unsuccessfully auditioned for the role of their lead singer in nineteen eighty-nine, Noel Gallagher who went on to join his little brother's group. Oh, imagine if Noel Gallagher had become lead singer of In Spiral Carpets. It would have been a very different world we'd be living in now, I feel. (sighs) Sliding doors. Yeah. Sliding doors. Carpets and they've got an album called The Beast Inside coming up later this month. All right, they've done the Bartman and now they're in deep, deep trouble. Here come the Simpsons. Davis, flanked by an assortment of whooping and clapping young women, shills the next in Spiral Carpets LP before introducing Deep Deep Trouble by The Simpsons. Formed in Springfield, somewhere in America, no one's exactly sure, might be Oregon, in 1987, The Simpsons were a family band who got their break on the Tracy Ullman show in America, which led to their own TV series two years later. 
By mid-1990, they'd become so popular that they were deluged with merchandising offers, including an approach by David Geffen to get an LP out for Christmas entitled The Simpsons Sing the Blues. The first single from that LP, Do the Bartman, was co-written by Michael Jackson, although we didn't know that until 1998 when Simpsons creator Matt Groening revealed that his name was kept off the credits to avoid creating Marvel with the label he was signed to. Although it was never released as a single in the US, it got to number one right throughout the English-speaking world, including three weeks in February of this year in the UK, and it's still in the chart at number 25. This is the follow-up, a new entry at number 22, and we're obviously being treated to the video. Now, first question, me dears. Do we know who wrote the rap? No. If you think about it, if you think about Rappers of the Year, right, it'll it'll become apparent. Uh, The Fresh Prince. Ah, right. Oh, well, that makes sense, because Jazzy Jeff did the music. And because it, it is, so there we go. it is a retread of parents just don't understand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, it really is. Were Simpsons a thing in your world at the time? Um, well, um, because I think the BBC are going to be absolutely delighted to get another opportunity to put the Simpsons on. I can't. I honestly can't remember a time before the Simpsons. You know, it's like they've always been there. I can't really remember. You know, so they, yeah, they must have been. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're all over the place. It was, the, you know, the the Christmas present of. Of 1990 was some Simpsons rammel. I remember getting a Bart Simpson T-shirt off my mum for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, I never had any Simpsons stuff at all, but I was, you know, it was just kind of the 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 background noise of of uh, of of pop culture, wasn't it? Really, mm. it was just it was everywhere. Yeah, yeah, no, and obviously it was, you know, the the show itself was properly great for at least ten years. So I think yeah. it was it was just getting into its kind of purple period. Yeah, at this point. Because I was into The Simpsons from day one, because in 1989, I, I treated myself to a satellite dish. Uh, I, I, we were the first on the street to have a satellite dish, and we're the last on the street to still have that satellite dish. My mum's never bothered to have it taken down. And when The Simpsons came out, I watched the first episode and, and stuck with it. Mm. I was that cool. I wasn't... <laughs> um... I wasn't watching it yet because, you know, obviously I didn't have a telly, but definitely didn't have Sky. So, I mean, uh, but I knew it was a thing in culture. Um, but I, I only had these records to go on, to, to judge it by. And also, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the, the, the merchandise that you'd see everywhere. So you'd see people wearing T-shirts saying, don't have a cow, man, and stuff. And uh, so yeah. I, I just assumed it was ghastly. I just assumed it was some mm. horrible, brash um, sort of numbskulled American thing. Um, I, I, you know, it was. It would be several years, probably not until it turned up on BBC, that I would actually see yeah. an episode of Simpsons. So I didn't realise the kind of brilliant writing and the humanity of it and all that kind of stuff mm. at all. I just thought it was mm. some terrible, terrible piece of sort of cultural imperialism just getting in our faces and all that. Um, but but you know, <laughs> yeah. knowing what I know now. Um, it feels as if a, a different, almost like a different department at Fox was in charge of the records than was in charge of yeah. the TV show. Because the, with, with these songs, um, it's as if they were going for the... I know it sounds stupid because it's a cartoon anyway, but they were going for the most cartoonish version of The Simpsons. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it turns out that Matt, Matt Groening was involved in the record, same as you know him and Jazzy Jeff uh, made the record. But it it's almost as if he's... Traducing and misrepresenting his own creation uh, by by bringing out mm. these these records because 
yeah, basically from from these records and the T-shirts, I just thought, oh, fucking hell, this is just gross. The thing is, is that by this time, I mean, The Simpsons haven't peaked mm. yet as, you know, the, the, the quality of the shows. But it was massively popular, obviously. I mean, uh, as well as the as well as all the official Simpsons merchandise, you would see a lot of black Bart Simpson T-shirts knocking mm-hmm. about that that were sold on the market in both London and Nottingham. But at the time, th- th- this is a time of the Simpsons when Bart's being thrown at you as the central character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When the Simpsons first came out in the UK. There'd be these massive sky posters everywhere, and it would just be Bart Simpson. It's like, oh yeah, this is the show, and this is a central character. And you know, I was I was bereft of a satellite dish at the time, um, being at university. I'm really missing it because you know I really missed the Simpsons, WWF and NWA wrestling, any American sport that I was into, and all the mental Dutch and German stuff that you could get. So, so yeah, I was, I was, I was missing out at the time, but I was, you know, massively aware of the Simpsons, and um, you know, you'd start talk, talking to people at, at work or at university and everything. You talk about the Simpsons, and without fail, they'd go, "Yeah, you know, you know, who the king of that show is, don't you? Fucking Homer. Homer's the king." And then it would eventually slip to Homer being the central character. Because to me, Bart was just an annoying cunt. Yeah, yeah. As soon as Homer started taking command, that's when The Simpsons really took off. It's interesting you mention uh, parents uh, just don't understand as being sort of something that might have been a precursor of this. My first thought was the Beastie Boys. My first right. thought was fight <laughs> yes. for your right to party, right? Yes, Cause, yes. Because... Uh, you know, if if you look at the lyrics, uh, right, so th- this is, I'll, I'll do a whole bunch of it. It goes, now I've never ever claimed that I was a smarty, but inspiration hits me, let's have a party. Mm. Called up my posse, they were here in a flash. They brought all their pals, we started to thrash. There was romping and stomping, an occasional crash, a fist fight or two, and Nintendo for cash. We raided the fridge, <laughs> dogs raided the trash. I got a little worried when the windows got smashed. Which is very kind of like a sort of PG version uh, or, or yeah. you, you know, uh, a children-friendly version of the Beasties, and uh, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to see this kind of chain of influence here, right? Which led from the Beasties <laughs> to this, and it then leads to um, Dre and Snoop's Gin and Juice, right? Because mm-hmm. com- compare that bit to this. That bit I just read to this. Yeah. Two in the morning, and the party's still jumping because my mum ain't home. I got bitches in the living room getting it on, and they ain't leaving till six in the morning. See what you want to do, shit. I got a pocket full of rubbers, and my homeboys do too. So you know, so all all that all that Dre and Snoop had done there is sort of taken the Simpson, you know, the Bart kind of template mm. and just sort of cranked it up a bit. Um, and again, the the twist with the Simpsons record, right? It turns out that it was all a dream, right? Mm. And what does that remind you of in hip hop terms? Ice Cube, it was a good day, yes, which came out in 1992. So good I'm Lord. saying, I'm saying Bart Simpson influenced Dre, Snoop, and Ice Cube. Basically, Bart Simpson is the hidden force behind G-Funk, is what I've established. <laughs> and it's a much better single than Do the Bart Man, which got on my tits. Do you think? Yeah. See, I was thinking... Yeah, it, much better. Uh, you see, yeah, but that, that's... Oh, oh, no, I don't... I'm, I'm not going to... This is not a hill that I'm going to die on, or even sit on, to be honest. I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to walk up this hill. You know. You're not pausing with with some Kendall mint cake on, on a ledge on that hill. <laughs> I understand that there's a hill. I'm having nothing to do with it. Um, I'll tell you what, though. Yeah. The um, the uh, this this video is it's pretty strong stuff. Um, because it is. it's like they electrocute him in an electric chair, and yeah. then and then he's nude, which is uh, what would I I don't know if that happened again until uh, the the kind of ill advised movie 
that is now kind of uh, yeah. t- uh, it's like ten years old now or something that didn't uh, you know the 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 good bit is like the opening kind of seven or ten minutes is really good and there's that sequence where he's like skateboarding nude but yeah so he's mm. so he's he's naked at one point he's like what the fuck yeah and he's got he's got a walkman over his bit yeah you know there's some there's there's some modesty involved but um yeah and then he goes to hell so by the time so it goes mm. um it, it's cut off quite quite early on but yeah this is pretty yeah this is quite strong stuff so um but yeah we didn't have any um any context for it i am trying to remember if i'd seen it at this point because i didn't have uh i didn't have sky I did go. I was like the first person at my school to see any satellite stuff because I went to Centre Parks. I went to like the half finished Centre Parks when that opened, <laughs> and every every uh, apartment had had uh, satellite. So uh, wow. you know, it was that was cool. I could go back and like preen about that, and everyone was like, "Wow, what's it like?" It's like, well, it's telly, but more more of it. You know, yeah. um, it kind of goes against the ethos that Centre Parks was trying to get over, though, wasn't it? <laughs> I think they were realists about this. It's like, look, yeah, <laughs> there's only so much, you know, um, there's only so much archery and swimming and uh, yeah. fucking about in the woods that you can do. Well, one person who definitely knew about Sky was Gary Davis, who was part of the presenting team from day one in the early 80s, uh... taking the Murdoch shilling and hosting something called Sky Tracks and something else called the Great Video Race. And there's some, there's some fucking mental clips on the video playlist of him getting set upon by Slade and Venom, <laughs> while he yeah Venom, while he tries to introduce videos of Marillion and Nick Kershaw, and he's also on this fucking insane shaking Band Aid advert for Sky called "Join the Family of Sky," singing along with Pat Sharp, Tony Blackburn, Anthea Turner, and some puppets. <laughs> it's it's fucking mental. Go and watch it, pop crazy youngsters. But anyway, this song. It's sort of charming, this. I mean, it's all right. And also Nancy Cartwright, to her yeah. credit, does not try too hard to rap. <laughs> no, she does a good job. She's got flow. Oh, you know. Yeah, she doesn't, but she, yeah, she just does it as Bart would do it. And it's this kind of slightly yeah. world-weary sounding, I can't I can't do a very good Bart. My, uh, no, I mean, my, my abilities are more in the kind of uh, Patty and Selma kind of arena. <laughs> yes. I mean, and yet, you couldn't listen to a whole record of that, could you? And you just have to turn it off. I don't know. <laughs> Double your pleasure, Springfield. Um, uh, but yeah. Um, but no, it's, it, it serves as a good introduction uh, to, to The Simpsons. And, you know, for those in the know, you can pick out various reference points and go, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this was, yeah, it was still getting, it was, it wasn't quite into its stride yet. So, you know, there was No. Um, and like you said, this was kind of a different angle on it. This was... Uh, the, the sort of T-shirt facing version, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You know mm. who absolutely loved these Simpsons records was the Irish, right? Do the yeah. Bartman was number yes. one in Ireland for nine weeks. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what the fuck? Insane. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned that uh, it, uh, Do the Bartman was co, you know, it was co-written by Jacko. Had him on backing mm. vocals. I looked into the credits on this one. Uh, the backing vocalists, you know, deep, deep trouble. Um, it's uh, Rosemary Butler, who's a sort of session singer with people like mm. Warren Zevon, Linda Ronstadt, Bonnie Raitt, James Taylor. So, you know, quite experienced. The other backing vocalist, Marcy Levy. Do you know who that is? No. Marcella Detroit from Shakespeare's <gasps> Good Sister. Good Lord. Yeah. Wow. Really? Yeah. So, and, and they were a big deal at this time. They, you know, they hadn't yet released uh, Stay with me, the single, but mm. uh, Stay, wasn't it? It's just called. Uh, uh, but they were already a chart act, and she's moonlighting here um, as Marcy Levy, her real name, um, mm. on, on this record. And um, then the credits on the album, 
It's extraordinary. They got uh, David Johansson from the New York Dolls, BB uh, King, Joe Walsh, Shit. John Sebastian, and Doctor John on the album. Fucking wow. hell! I know, right? Um, I do like the title of the next album, the Yellow Album, which <laughs> made me chuckle when I saw that. I got to admit. Yeah. <laughs> what would the equivalent be now? Do you think? Like, because this isn't really something that you see now, is it? I don't know. Like Rick no. and Morty gonna have a single out or? Oh, yeah, I know, because, I mean, things yeah. like Family Guy and South Park... No, South Park did have hit singles, but Family Guy came and went without me being aware of a record spin-off, so mm. I don't know. Yeah, maybe... Yeah, maybe it, it, it's, it's probably a blessing, to be honest. I'm not saying this is the thing I want yeah. to see in the yeah. world, but, you know. Yeah. So, the following week, Deep Deep Trouble jumped 11 places to number nine and would eventually get to number seven for two weeks. Alas, the follow-up, a cover of God Bless the Child, performed by Lisa Simpson failed to chart, and they never troubled the charts again, leaving The Simpsons utterly forgotten by everyone who has never looked at a telly for the past 30 years. Simpson and Deep Deep Trouble. Okay, here's a song that was originally released in October of last year. Since that time, it's become huge in the clubs. The second highest new entry in the charts this week. This is Enjoy an Anthem. Davis, with more of the kids, including a tiny blonde woman by his side who will not stop fucking clapping, introduces the next act completely unaware that a youth with shit frizzy shoulder length hair and horrific multicoloured shirt is looming over his right shoulder and pulling a full on Ian Brown face. He's fucking gurning his nuts off. I want to know what he's doing. It's amazing, isn't it? This is the highlight of the show for me. It really is. There'll be kids, kids of 18, 19, watching this episode that would not know what the fuck he's, he's getting at, that lad. Yeah, he's come straight from the Hacienda. The Hacienda yeah. in his mind, anyway. Yeah, yeah, because they'd think, oh, <laughs> is, he, is he pretending to be sucking someone off? <laughs> the Ian Brown face did become the belm of the 90s, didn't it? <laughs> oh, right the way through to the, uh, to the poster of Human Traffic, there's a bloke at the front yes. who's doing the same thing. John Sim, isn't it? Yeah. So bad. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That night, Ian Brown got to learn a lesson about the fickleness of pop, didn't he? (laughs) You know, one minute you're the golden child of alternative music, and the next, you're a (laughs) belm. So eventually, Davis introduces the next act Enjoy an Anthem. Formed in Southend in 1989, Enjoy were a rave duo who were supplemented by the vocalist Samantha Sprackling, who had changed her name to Saffron. This single, their debut, was originally released in October of 1990, spending two weeks at number 45. The follow-up, the Adrenaline EP, got to number 23 a month ago, which led to Anthem getting a re-release, and it's a new entry this week at number 19. Well, as you can imagine, for 1991, this is a very dance-heavy episode of Top of the Pops, and we're going to get a very interesting compare and contrast between different 
nation's views of that music as uh, as the show goes on. Simon, did you have any involvement in dancing at this time? Either writing about it or putting it on or anything? Not really. Um, I did go to a rave once for Melody Maker. Um, it was pretty much as Sarah described earlier, where uh, it was you know it got to the to the stage where you were now paying twenty five quid to get in, and it was all fairly well regulated and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but I, I think I mentioned in a previous episode that I liked a lot of the music, but I hated the communal experience of it. So I was sort of yeah. locked in my bedroom. I was dancing <laughs> around my room to a guy called Gerald and, and 808 State and stuff like that, uh, you know, a few, mm. few years earlier. So it, it it was musically interesting to me, but not, you know, culturally, it was just my worst nightmare. Um mm. So, yeah, um, obviously, I, I was running a sort of broad church at the student union. So I, I just allowed yeah. other people to have a budget and go and, you know, put on dance events. But it wasn't really my, my thing. We've mentioned earlier, you know, the Top of the Pops is really feeling that the that the burgeoning dance culture is, is kind of fucking their scene up a bit. But, you know, if Top of the Pops is a news programme, and, and, it, and it pretty much was, you know, the teenage news, if you will, this is a huge part of it. This is what people are buying. What's what's the problem here? Well, the problem is how to present it visually, isn't it? And I, mm. I guess the way they've got around it um, in, in Joy's case is just find the best looking woman you know and get her to dance about. Um, I mean, full mm. disclosure: Saffron's a mate of mine. Um, mm. She lived in Brighton for a while, so you know. But um, I I do think she she's she's great here. Um, she you know she's vis- visually very striking. And um, yeah. I don't know what you call that thing she's wearing, whether it's a bodice or a corset, or but it's some kind of sci-fi yeah. futuristic version of that. And um... she looks like a magician's assistant, doesn't she? <laughs> oh, God, yeah, I get but, but a I really glamorous one. But how can you present something like like this otherwise? Because it is just two blokes with keyboards. Um, yeah, there wouldn't. Uh, there are some professional dancers, obviously, but there's really not a lot to to look at if it wasn't. For Saffron, but she is, you know, very stunning and striking, and you know, she she does draw draw the eye. Um, wh- whatever camera angle is going on, you know, she's the one you're looking at. So it was mm. a, a smart move, I guess, on their part. How's Melody Maker covering dance music at this time, Simon? In its own little ghetto, we had sections in the paper um, mm. that were devoted to it, and um, we had sort of you know two or three experts who would cover that stuff. Um, I think we sort of embraced it a little bit more fully as time went on, and we sort of mm. we had people like Shaman and Underworld, and, and you know all the, all the sort of indie friendly dance acts, if you like, on the front cover. Yeah, yeah. Prodigy a few like, times. Um, like acts that kind of look like a band. Yeah, yeah. I suppose so. The thi- and and things where the people involved had something to say, which. In a way, it's expecting too much of musicians to always have something to say, but we were used mm. to it. Sort of indie rock yeah. bands tended to be gobby. Dance acts, not so much. But when you have people like, like Mr. C from The Shaman or, or Keith Flint, bless him, R.I.P. from The Prodigy, um, mm. then you know there was something to latch onto there, which you weren't going to get with somebody like Enjoy, who for all I know might be the most brilliant kind of uh, dinner guests you could, you could hope to have. But um, mm. there was not really any evidence for that. Um, I'm, I'm interested in the, you know the fact that they are known as being from South End, from Essex, so you automatically assume that they're like proper yeah. rave hooligans, you know the sort of thing yeah. Simon Reynolds would drool over. They're actually posh boys. Uh, yes, Nigel Champion went to Framlingham, which was the uh, alma mater of uh, no end of conservative politicians and high court judges, mm. and also Charlie out of Busted, 
and uh, Mark Franklin went to Felstead, which was the same school as General Sir Richard Dannett, uh, Bamba Gascoigne, right. uh, countless lords and bishops, and half the England cricket team. So they, you know, they weren't necessarily what they appeared to be, shall we say? No. But I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known this at the oh, time. Yeah. At, at, at the t- I mean, enjoy and entrance have merged in my mind. I, I couldn't have, with a gun to my head, I couldn't have told you which was which until you know half an hour ago. There's a guy who now is a massive Tory blogger who was actually like one of the first rave promoters. Right. Uh, it was Tony Colston Hatron. It was like his right hand man. Right. Right. They kind of did the massive, uh, the massive first paid parties. It's not one of those Guido Forks people, is no. it? No. Oh, it's Guido. It's Guido Forks, right. isn't it? Yeah. I think it is Guido Forks. It's that guy. He was actually a massive raver back in the day. So mm. there is like a bit of a. Um, it was a slight crossover. There, well, it was but, kind um, of gangster capitalism. Yeah. It's, it's ironic, isn't it? That yes. The Conservative government was so opposed to rave culture when really it yeah. was very entrepreneurial. It was everything they wanted people to be Massively, doing. Massively, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it just pulls in everything. I mean, it was such a, you know, it was it was a huge thing that, that had all kinds of consequences and all kinds of implications and, and you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is quite, you know, I enjoyed this. This is kind of the high point of the of the episode for me. Um, it's It's kind of... It's a bit tame, it's a bit flat, you mm. know, as a, you know, if you're going to call your track Anthem, you need to really, really It needs to be it. one, yeah. doesn't it? It needs to I'm, fucking be oh, an yeah. Anthem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it hits that... Should have been called it, Filler. It's still... It, oh, but, I mean, it hits... It, it's kind of... It's quite pedestrian in and of itself, but for me, it still hits that neural circuit mm. of, of like, oh, oh, dance music, and, and it goes for a little scale-extric whiz around that. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's something that works, it's... it's it, it's it's part of um it's got its place on a 90s rave compilation yeah you know? and i think in in this episode it's it's a it's an oasis of of uh of fun and color and excitement you know c- comparatively um i mean yeah saffron does great yeah it's got sort of mustard a kind of saf- saffron colored Ooh. actually sort of satin satin corset thing mm. and with sort of big uh big kind of like Future armor, wings coming off the, yeah. the the hips, and long satin gloves. This is you yeah. see the thing about this is this is not an outfit in which you could actually rave. No, <laughs> the point you could no. not you could not give it your all for ten hours in that get-up. You just couldn't. Yeah, how'd you get your pills out of your Kinder Surprise egg with them gloves on? Well, exactly. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, she looks a bit like a young Cheryl Tweedy a little bit. She's like, Ooh, you know, she's super yes. pretty. She's got really glossy hair. Yeah, yeah, shiny, shiny hair. Yeah, very nice. Um, and mm. yeah, she's got as a... Like a conker. <laughs> she's got, so there's another dancer who nobody's looking at, who's in like a, despite the fact they're in a, no. a, a pink bodysuit, a, a sort of bright pink bodysuit. Yeah. Not half as good. I mean, she's throwing in like ballet moves and stuff. You know, she's obviously like, yeah. you know, a proper dancer. And, uh, you know, Mark and Nigel, the two blokes just sort of, beavering n n and joy are sort of tinkering away on the sins yeah. at, at the lecterns <laughs> oh if it was only n the actual n in n joy that would be great yeah yeah, yeah. playing the spoons <laughs> but she's got also saffron has a very difficult job here she's got that impossible job of miming to two different vocal lines where they merge oh she goes ah 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 like that yeah yes <laughs> yes but yeah this just this would just wash over me this this sort of thing but looking back on it now, yeah, it's all right. I sort of um, find myself kindly disposed to it at the start because I I prefer dance music that's dance music, and 
that doesn't come yeah. with a prefix like indie, uh, you know, with with yeah. no side or slant or twist or sort of disclaimer, you well, know, like this apologetic disclaimer. Yeah. It's dance music, but don't worry, kids, it's indie dance music. You know, I prefer it without a rider. Yeah. Um, that's not with a capital R, Y, but I suppose. Um, yeah. But this track, yeah, I mean, as, as Sarah says, it, it needs to step up its game if it's going to be called Anthem. Um, I, I've got to say, yeah. though, um, I, I mean, I don't remember it at the time, I've played this episode through a couple of times. It's sort of grown on me already. A few more, a few more plays, mm. and I might really like it. I would imagine because it, you know it's a pretty big hit that for people who were into this, this is one of the kind of iconic records of its genre. But that, mm. I'm, I'm sort of blissfully unaware of that. Um, but yeah, um, it it doesn't grab me immediately. But I think it's it's all right. Yeah, it has its place. Yeah. This is like the pop end of the pop end of of uh, this this culture, you know. So it's like. That's what it is. It's quite quite sugary and insubstantial, yeah. but you know it still still does the business. Yeah, uh, and presentation wise, you know, Top of the Pops have done the best they can, but any kind of sort of rave element and imagery they're looking for is is totally ruined by the audience who were just doing granny claps again. There's no training the granny claps out of that audience. I don't just mean no. this episode. I mean all the episodes. It's yeah, extraordinary. but but this one's particularly full on. Yeah, I mean the granny clapping during fucking Gary Davis just blathering. <laughs> Terrible. They're just so excited to be there in his presence. They yeah. turn into like sea lions at the aquarium. Right. Like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the following week, Anthem jumped eleven places to number eight, its highest position. They then spent the rest of the year concentrating on cracking the US and made a return to the UK charts in February of 1992 with Live in Manchester Parts 1 and 2, which got to number 12, by which time Saffron had left the group to go solo, eventually pitching up in the mid-90s as the lead singer of Republica. And she's nearly on this episode twice, don't you know? Mm -hmm. Mm, We'll come to that later. making the music and Saffron who is singing the song and that's Enjoy an Anthem. Okay, here come some happening tunes. There's a new entry at 39 where love lives Alison Limerick. A new entry at 38, Hyper Real from The Shaman. New at 36, Ring My Bell, Moni Love and a Diva. And up four to 35, Word of Mouth, Mike and the Mechanics. Up two places at 33, Can You Dig It? from the Mock Turtles. And up six at 30, Caravan, the Inspiral Carpets. The Rolling Stones don't move at 29 with High Wire. Up four to 28, over to you, John, Jive Bunny and the Master Mixers. A new entry at 26, Strike It Up from Black Box. There's a new entry at 22, Deep Deep Trouble, The Simpsons. Up 12 to 21, here we go, CNC Music Factory and Freedom Williams. And up 4 to 20, She's a Woman, Screepalitty and Shabba Ranks. A new entry at 19, Anthem from Enjoy. Up five places at 17, Where You Love Like Heaven, Definition of Sound. No change at 16, This Is Your Life from the Banderas. The highest climber up 16 to 15, Love and Kisses, Danny Minogue. Up 11 to 14, Human Nature, Gary Clale on USAN System. 
And up to at 12, I've got news for you, Fergal Sharkey. And here is the highest new entry at number 11, the Waterboys and the Whole of the Moon. Davis, on a platform alongside some more pop-crazed youngsters, introduces the first chart rundown by announcing, here comes some more happening tunes. <laughs> oh, Gary, what a, what a faux pas that is. Do you know what? When he says that, it's, it's unclear whether it's said with kind of knowing irony. If it was Steve Wright... We know that he's, you know, because of his persona. Yeah. Here comes some happening tunes. We know he was joking. Yeah, with or Gary John Davis, Peel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with Gary Davis, you sort of think, is he actually trying a little bit hard to be cool? Does he mean <laughs> yeah. it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and it just doesn't mm. quite come off. Yeah. So the chart rundown. Um, they miss out number four, Ted. What's that about? Well, they're doing a weird thing here, aren't they? They're just doing new entries, upward movers and non-movers. They're, um, they're, right. they're cutting out anything that's gone down the chart so presumably what was at number four he must have been a faller it was who where why by jesus jones was it right yeah it got disappeared man i know it's just like a time saver that's a bit you know editing editing history there yeah 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 it's a bit martin lewis isn't it oh we should only broadcast the good news yeah yes yeah exactly the charts look horrible but at least they are telling us how many places these things have gone up Which is something. Yeah. I think it's a, um, a weird thing they're doing with the photos around this time as well. Yes. The, the photos are superimposed between blurred out versions of the same photo. So yeah, it's like, up, yeah. yeah. So it's like on, on the news these days, right? When like a chemical plant has caught fire and Ugh. the only person to film it on their phone filmed it in, in portrait. So they, yes. have to, so they have to fill the rest of the screen with the same image in a sort of blurry yes. reverse thing. It's a bit like that. <laughs> and he eventually settles upon the whole of the moon by the water boys. Formed in Edinburgh in 1983, the Waterboys were essentially a collective of musicians who swirled around the orbit of frontman Mike Scott. Their debut single, A Girl Called Johnny, marked their first entry in the UK charts when it got to number 80 in April of 1983. But it would take three LPs and their sixth single, this one, before they entered the top 40 in November of 1985. It originally climbed all the way up to number 26 back then, but no further, mainly due to Scott's point-blank refusal to mime the single on top of the pops to the despair of his label, Enzyme Records. However, in 1991, and at the end of their deal, they're about to put out a compilation LP, The Best of the Water Boys, and this has been re-released again, and bugger me gently if it isn't this week's highest new entry at number 11. Unfortunately for everyone, there's a video that can be bunged on. This knocked me bandy when I uh, when I saw it. I totally forgot that they'd re-release this. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Are people really hankering for the mid-80s and the early 90s? It's weird, but I tell you what, maybe they're a little bit ahead of their time because, mm. um, I mean, right, there's a lot of this sort of stuff around. I know um, the Waterboys were, you know, he's from Edinburgh, but I think they spent some time in Ireland and it's definitely yes. Celtic Celtic soul. Um, yeah. And there was, God, when did when did the Hot House Flowers happen? They were maybe a little Ooh, bit before yeah. this. There was a, yeah. yeah, so there's a lot of this sort of fiddle-dee-dee nonsense around from the levellers to the, the, the wonder stuff started using uh, violins. Yes. Yeah. 
and and there there was all this kind of sentimentality that was maybe vaguely connected to Jack Charlton's Republic of Ireland. Mm. And then you had things like Beamish adverts and the commitments. And there was yeah. a lot of this sort of stuff around. So maybe it was just all in the air that people yeah. wanted wanted a bit of this. Um, I mean, it's a huge, huge song. Yes. You, you can't argue with it. They no. fucked with it a bit here, though, haven't they? I don't know if you noticed, but yeah. certainly the version in the video, it's got extra, it's got extra fiddle and extra <laughs> horn bits yes. added on it, which I don't think it needs. I don't think it's helped by those extra no. accessories but I, I i had fond memories of, of this song first time round. um mm. it was it's weird really with bands like the water boys because round about the sort of mid to late 80s you know me particularly personally i was getting into this whole idea that melody maker writers like david stubbs are trying to put across that we must do away with all this kind of soft option business you know because yeah. the average person who was into alternative stuff in the late 80s you'd have been into kind of the arse end of Echo and the Bunny Men, you'd have been into sort of the Cure's biggest albums. You'd have yeah. been into like Morrissey's first solo record and, uh, um, you know, all this, maybe a bit of psychedelic furs and blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, kind of Janice Long music, Annie Nightingale music yeah. rather than rather than John Peel music. And the Waterboys to me is almost the, the epitome of that. But it's just, in, in terms of the kind of bigness and the, the emotion of the song, the way it sweeps you, it's, um, you know... Uh, comparable to something like Story of the Blues by Wah, I think. Yes. That kind of bigness. And the fact that it's got sort of firework noises going off on it, that kind of stuff, mm. you know, came like a comet, blazing your trail. I think I think more records should have firework noises on it. There was a great one that, yes. that wasn't a hit called You're the Generation That Bought More Shoes and You Get What You Deserve by Johnny Boy that's got fireworks <laughs> over it, which is brilliant. Um, the, the thing everyone thinks about this song, uh, that it's about Prince... Uh, it turns yeah. out it wasn't. Uh, it, it, so uh, it, uh, Mike, Mike Scott has yeah. gone on the record that, that people are way off the mark with that. So in that in that sense, it's the indie you're so vain. Uh, <laughs> yes. in, you know, people trying to guess guess who it's about. Uh, um, the the only other thing I've got to say about this, this is pub graffiti, right? My local pub back in Wales, uh, the first pub I ever drank in uh, um, to celebrate finishing my O levels, uh, is called the Park uh, on Park Crescent, and mm. uh, um, every time I go back there. Uh, there's there's two bits of enduring uh, graffiti on the inside of the toilet doors. Um, one of them says, "Dom is English and gay," right? <laughs> uh, which uh, as 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 if those two things are equ- equivalent sort of crimes, roughly. And the other mm-hmm. one says, "Mike Scott is a cock," <laughs> right? <laughs> and obviously, it's not the same Mike Scott. But I just love no. to think every time I'm there that it's somebody who really, really fucking hates the Water Boys. <laughs> Yeah. It's a very it's it's <laughs> one of those almost too clever lyrics, isn't it? Really, and and mm. you know, ripe for for parody, I suppose. You know, I spoke about wings. You just flew. I thought about having a beer. You just brewed. You know, it, it's like it's it's you could you could just you mm. could do a, an entire we didn't start the fire type type thing, can you? It's it's all right. I mean, it, I I wasn't like massively thrilled to hear it again. It's an interesting clip, this because it's not actually the video, is it? This is a it's a live it's a video yeah. of a live bit. So that you know the dude can obviously yeah. sing, um, and he has great hair. I've got to give him that. It's lovely, mm. lovely mop of curls. Um, I think this song now hearing it, it's kind of. It's sort of out of time in some ways. Like the production dates it, and uh, yeah, you know. But also, I can kind of imagine it coming out now. Like I don't know, Bastille or one of those like inexplicably massive kind of posh indie bands. You know, mm. I can kind of imagine them. You know, 
doing this. I don't know if it's a. I don't know if anyone would dare cover it, but you know. I was quite shocked to to find out that it only got to number twenty five in the charts, but also shocked that it did get in the charts because I do not remember it making the charts the first time around. But I'd heard this song fucking endlessly at shitty student discos at Rock City throughout throughout the whole late eighties. So the fact that it's come back again when I'm trying to move on and progress, <laughs> it was a definite thing in the early 90s because we're not too far away from Young at Heart by the Bluebells being number one for fucking weeks on end. Oh, yeah. Oy. We're not letting go of the mid-80s. It's, it's, it's not right. <laughs> so the following week, the whole of the moon leapt eight places to number three, its highest position. The follow-up, a re-release of Fisherman's Blues, which originally got to number 32 in February of 1989, would only make it to number 75 in June of this year. But after his current band drifted away, Scott moved to New York, signed to Geffen, recorded his next LP with session musicians under the Waterboy's name, and notched up two more top 40 hits in originally released six years ago. Okay, we've got another fine Manchester band for you now, making their debut on top of the box tonight with Can You Dig It? The Mock Turtles! Davis surrounded by more granny-clapping youths, introduces, in his word, another fine Manchester band. It's the Mock Turtles with Can You Dig It? Formed in Middleton, Greater Manchester in 1985, the Mock Turtles spent the late 80s on a local independent label, releasing a smattering of singles, an LP, and appearances on tribute LPs to the likes of Sib Barrett, Captain Beefheart, The Kinks and The Birds. Earlier this year, they signed to Siren Records, an offshoot of Virgin, and were set to release Lay Me Down as their first single for the label. But after they realised they were in need of a B-side, lead singer Martin Coogan dashed this tune off in an evening and named it after the rallying cry of Cyrus in The Warriors. It was immediately promoted to the A-side, entered the charts at number 46 a month ago and tentatively crept upwards. And it's nudged up two places from number 35 to number 33 this week, warranting their first Top of the Pops performance. Now, before we move on, if you'd have told me that this had been named after something in a film, I would have sworn down it had to be named after the monkey's song in head. Ah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I didn't get the worries thing at all. No, because no, yeah. in a pig's arse would Cyrus be playing this fucking song while, <laughs> while the Gramercy Riffs did their militant kung fu workouts to, to soft lad music. No, no, no. <laughs> this is more of an orphan song, isn't it? You remember they, that gang of Jesses who weren't even invited to the meeting in the park? Yeah. <laughs> this is their music. I think I would have been thinking Shaft, actually. Isaac Hayes going, can you dig it? Mm. In that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For me, it's more of a questions to which the answer is, eh, no. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, like, the, like what they say about headlines, don't they? 
Yeah, yeah, they say that any any newspaper story that has a question mark at the end, the answer is always no. No. So yeah, <laughs> similar thing with, with this. See, yeah, I mean, it, you really uh. do get a feeling with this that, like, yeah, everyone's still out raving one way or another, and this kind of this is like the sort mm. of indie tilth that kind of settled in the charts because that's what they were. <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, you know, the fact that like beer sales took a massive hit because everyone was on E and drinking water. So that's why they had to invent mm. Alka-Pops. So it's like nobody's buying mm. the beer and and like the beer's just kind of sitting in the pipes and going stale. And it's it's that feeling of, you know, it's like the chart equivalent of that, of just kind of the lager <laughs> that's just kind of just, you know, lonely, unloved lager, kind of just just occupying space. You know, it's really, it's really tame. It's really sort of, you know, in in so it, it's very weak sauce. It's like greasy spoon brown sauce, or mm. like you know, it's it's kind of Mellow Birds coffee in a greasy spoon, <laughs> yeah. and you know, and there's they've got bowl cuts or other kind of you know bowl adjacent bad cuts, bad boxy mm. denim jackets, um, yeah, a, a nice lady in a catsuit on the keys who seems to have come in. From you know, seems to have wandered in from another performance altogether. Um, mm. A more interesting one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but they don't focus that much on her because no. usually, if you, if you, if you've got one woman in your band, it's usually they usually make a bit of a fuss about it, don't they? There's kind of a wah solo, and I don't know. I mean, I remember this, you know, from the time, and and I think at the time I I found it quite agreeable, and now just mm. kind of. You know, but no more than that. You know, I had no strong feelings yeah. about it, and and just having it, seeing it come up in in this is just like, whew, you know. Davis describes them as a a fine Manchester band. Can you translate that for the for the pop craze youngsters? What does he mean well, by that? I just think he wants everyone to think that he's down with Baggy, doesn't he? Mm. Old old GD there. Yeah. Um, I I I don't know about you, but um. Uh, I, I was watching this just given what, what we know now uh, and, and, and who we know his more famous sibling is. I was just yeah. staring at, at, at Martin Coogan's face, try, trying to yeah. see how much he looks like and trying to imagine him going, ah, ah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and uh, in, uh, in, in his autobiography, um, Steve Coogan talks about how, how he looked up to his brother mm. and thought he was impossibly cool and didn't think he could ever be that cool himself. Mm. And, and, of course, just reading that, that makes me think of Steve Coogan in the day-to-day when he's doing that bit about um, uh, road safety. And he's like, yes. so what about me? Do I look cool? Yes, yeah. Do cool. I really look cool? Do I look cool now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do I? Do I? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, basically, he just... You know, desperately wanted to be as cool as his big brother, and I, I think you know probably most people would think that um, he's he's kind of won that battle. Um, although um, I noticed that um, Martin Coogan did do the music for the latest yes. Alan Partridge yes. series, so you know a bit of payback there. Mm. Um, I, I actually um, can I surprise you to quote Partridge? Um, I, uh, I actually think it's not a bad song. This mm. uh, I think it's it's one of those melodies that moves itself along with a kind of easy logic and inevitability. Yeah. A bit like "Good Enough" by Dodgy a few years later, mm. which is another. I, I didn't like. I didn't like "Good Enough" by Dodgy particularly, but there's there's something that um, kind of gets around my defences about a song that has that kind of nice logic to it. It's a bit, you know, Neil Kakani's a big fan of Bach, I think, and um, there's something almost mathematical about the way the Bach wrote wrote melodies. Melodies, and I think that um, things like you know that Dodgy song and this one. Have a bit of that to them, yeah. Um, 
they were so obviously only going to have one hit. You can mm. just, even in, you know, as you're listening to this song, thinking, oh, this is quite nice. You're thinking, this is all they got in the locker. That's, that's kind of it, basically. Yeah. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't dislike it at all. But, I mean, when Gary Davis is saying a, a Manchester band, Manchester band by this time is shorthand for homeopathically psychedelic and you can lumber about to it a bit. Well, yeah, they're a little bit runty, aren't they, the Mock Turtles, mm. in the Manchester litter, I suppose. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of, yeah, it is sort of homeopathic doses. It just sounds like the lower league highlights bit in football focus. Every time I hear it, I can just hear the words Hereford United's relegation woes continued when they visited female last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything else to say about this? No. Again, a lot of wearing of white, I notice. It's terribly high maintenance. Yeah. It's the kind of clothes you, you want to wear on stage, but you don't want to wear in the pub. Well, it's a weirdly luxy thing, isn't it? If you wear white, you're kind of advertising that you can afford to yeah. buy something that you wear once and then you get yeah. curry sauce on it. Um, yeah. And then that's it. You know, there's no, you know, so so it's a weird, weird expression of privilege, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually think that the symbolism of white trousers was very important in the late 80s when the Stone Roses brought it back yeah. because it really was visually doing away with all that kind of uh, sort of skinny, black-legged indie band thing, you know. Mm. Um, and I guess it was harking back to people like John John's Children in the 60s and... Yeah. The Who and The Creation and those kind of bands who all wore white jeans. And um, that's why the Manic Street Preachers, uh, just, you know, the year that we're talking about, um, adopted white jeans to kind of distance themselves from, you know, Ride and Chapter House and Slow Dive and all those sort of downbeat indie bands. that you know, And lock themselves so- in with the Mock Turtles. <laughs> yeah, well, that th- this is this is where it all falls down, unfortunately. <laughs> so the following week, can you dig it? Bounded up eleven places to number twenty-two, and would eventually get to number eighteen for two weeks. The follow-up, and then she smiles, would only get to number forty-four in July, and they were completely shut out of the charts for the rest of their career. However. 12 years later, Vodafone used the song for that advert where David Beckham holds up the queue at Tesco because he's a thick, ignorant bastard who stares gormlessly at his new picture phone. It was remixed by Fatboy Slim and shoved out again, and this time it got to number 19. And can you dig it? They're going to be supporting the in spiral carpets that you saw earlier in June. That'll be a good gig. All right, CNC Music Factory, and here we go. Davis. Up on the balcony in front of a huge Radio 1 logo, shills the tour of Inspiral Carpets and the Mock Turtles before introducing Here We Go by CNC Music Factory. Formed in New York in 1989 by David Cole and Robert Seville's from the ashes of two Puerto Ricans, a black man and a Dominican, CNC Music Factory first set about the charts when they teamed up with the rapper Freedom Williams and released Gonna Make You Sweat, Everybody Dance Now, which got to number one in America and number three over here in January of this year. 
However, they immediately ran into Mither when it turned out that the former weather girl, Martha Wash, had unknowingly recorded the vocals for that song, only for the model-turned-singer Zelma Davis to take the credit on the video. While Wash is still trying to get paid for a contribution, this follow-up single, which actually features Davis on the vocal this time, along with a reappearance by Williams, has been put out, and it's up 12 places this week, from number 33 to number 21. And again, it's it's another video. And they're really cutting late into these videos, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, it's the, uh, they get in at the last possible minute, get out at the first possible mm. minute as well. Yeah. So we've had uh, a song called Anthem that isn't. We've had Can You Dig It When You Can't. And now we've got Here We Go, a song that never does go. Um, I keep waiting for the chorus, but it never really comes. Um, Mm. I thought I knew it from the title, but it turned out I got it mixed up with Here We Go by Stacker Bow. Right. Which, which though very annoying, is at least memorable. Uh, So... Yeah, you, you mentioned all the kind of legal shenanigans about mm. Martha Wash, who, who we're going to talk about again shortly, aren't we? Yes. Um, this one does appear to be legit with, you know, Zelma Davis. Uh, she grew up in what we must call war-torn Liberia uh, mm. before she moved to America. And, and she she also sang on Coca-Cola adverts and her voices on the Sister Act soundtrack. So she's, you know, she's a proper singer. She's, she's legit, not just, yeah. Yeah, she's legit. Um the other thing I know about Zelma Davis uh, is that I would wear the shit out of her angel wings uh, <laughs> in this video um, in a nightclub. Or, or I would have done about 10 to 15 years ago, let's say. Um, They're like eight-foot uh, angel wings. They're massive. They are extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want them. Well, you know, my, my younger self certainly does. Uh, yeah. I, I've, got, I've got a you peculiar You want to get a tennis strap round your arse, though, Simon? No, where you go to the toilet with them wings on. <laughs> Well, you know, this is what this is what um, you know. Nap, adult nappies were made for. Yes. Um, I, I've got a, a real fascination with with that era in the early '90s, where every pop single had to have some rap on it. Yes. Um, usually uncredited, and mm. usually sort of three quarters of the way through, before like before the final chorus and the outro, you get twenty seconds of some rap, capital S, capital R. Yeah. Uh, and it was usually not by a named rapper or anything. It's just just someone from the UK scene who'd been bunged a few quid for an mm. afternoon's work. And and it was normally never billed as main artist featuring rapper. No. You'd, you'd have to sort of scour the small print uh, of the credits on the LP sleeve to find out yeah. who they were. Like Shocked by Kylie Minogue was, was an example that mm. always comes to mind. So, um, uh, and, and it, I, I did a bit of research on that one. The rapper on that one turned out to be a guy called Wolverhampton called Jazzy P, who, nice. who later appeared on, on non-celebrity Big Brother. And I always <laughs> wonder where they are, these guys. You know, these guys who are hired to add add some rap to a, mm. to a pop record. And I, I, I always wonder if any of them met, went, went on to make a, a, a career for themselves. And, and and I wonder how they feel about it now, like kind of mercenary work and where, where it sits in their kind of personal narrative of how they got where they are. And I, I wonder if they feel exploited in retrospect or just sort mm. of struggling, you know, it was a bit of, a, bit of easy cash. So... So yeah. what's not to like? Um, and there is some rap on this record, although to be fair, of course, he's, he's credited. It's, it's Freedom Williams. Yeah. And, and, and there is some rap on the next one yeah. too, which we'll talk about uh, in a minute. Uh, and I but, thought Freedom Williams was the singer until last I did. week. Yes, this whole business about Zelma, it's, it's all new to me. I, mm. Yeah, I just thought Freedom Williams sounds like a woman's name. Um, yeah. And, and um, being an American release, I'll tell you what's interesting. You, you're saying it got to number one in America. Um, th- there's a kind of narrative now that says that... Uh, uh, EDM uh, is the you know belated breakthrough of, of dance music no. in America. 
I mean, fucking hell, they had a number one with this in the States in 1991. Yeah. So that yeah. that sort of, um, you know, sort of caused bullshit on that story. Mm. So there, there was, there's always a market for the uh, for dance music there, it, it would seem. Um, the the production values of the, of the video, being an American video, yeah. are, are pretty pretty high, aren't they? Yes, they there's, are. There's, 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 there's lots of smoke, dance, there's dancers in these kind of industrial goth boots, but no shirts. And mm. there, there's like a random angel on a bicycle. There's a random <laughs> creepy creepy doll baby near the end, I seem to yeah. So um, Yeah, it's unlike any yeah. factory I've ever worked in. <laughs> Usually just really scrawny old blokes with fags clamped to their lips. Reading, yeah. reading the sporting life. It, this would be the CNC Music Factory, yes. though. That's why yeah. Yeah. It, they're literally. It's like they get oiled up. Mm. You know, whip off shirts off. Yeah, shirts off, helmets on. Get to work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do wonder quite... if the the later the, the the top of the pops intro that came a few years later was based on this video. Ah. It's very similar. You know, lots of ah. uh, lots of steel balconies and uh, blokes with the shirts off jigging yeah, yeah. about a bit. Yeah, I mean, I've always, you know, I love the idea of, of like, you know, like dancing as work, mm. you know, and you go to it like it's your like it's your job mm. and you're going to get fired. You know, I love that. And there's there's some there's some great there's some really nice choreography in this. And uh, there there is the bit. Yeah, it's quite it's it is not it's the other other CNC Music Factory track that I hadn't I'd forgotten all about and have forgotten all about again. Yeah, it's every everybody dance now a bit more, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, everybody continue dancing now. <laughs> the, 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 doing an overtime shift. Yeah, but there is a bit of they've they've dropped the the kind of go 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 bit in, which you yeah. know always makes your uh, you know you, you realize you're being instructed to to do yes. something, and it's like oh right yeah I'm not going to do it, but I appreciate the uh, I appreciate you telling me this. You know I understand what's yeah. going on. Um, yeah. Also, so Freedom Williams has got a very, he's got a very sort of deep voice. It's like, like he's talking to the, mm. it's, it's, it's slightly, um, you know, talking to the party people. It goes out to the yes. young and to the old. Let's, which I appreciate. He's, <laughs> he's speaking to all the generations. Inclusive. Yeah. He's talking to the granny clappers. It's like this one's for you. Yeah. <laughs> all the yeah. grannies in the house. Um, <laughs> it really might. The thing is that CNC Music Factory just remind me of this, uh, this documentary that I used to. This documentary about dance. Uh, that I used to have on on VHS called Everybody Dance Now, and I loved this thing so much, and I was so excited. I couldn't dance for shit myself, but I just loved mm. to watch other people doing it. And it was Rosie Perez talking about choreography on it, and there were just loads of really good montages of people fucking ripping it up, and you know, mostly and yeah. and the kind of it was you know mostly American stuff and kind of break dancing and street stuff, and. Uh, yeah, and I've looked for it on. Occasionally, I look, I look for it, and it's not there on YouTube. But yeah, I definitely, it definitely existed. But that's uh, that's very this. It's the kind of. It's quite high, you know. It it is quite a sort of high high end sort of high production thing. But um, as for yeah. the kind of breakthrough thing with EDM, I I guess that stands up in terms of like how unbelievably massive EDM is, and what you know, just the insane amounts of money, and how it has kind of. Uh, like what a massive business it is, and and how it's now in the culture in that way. I suppose that it's like comparatively, this this was pretty small beans, you know. But I mean, like you say, yeah, the video is is an extended Christmas perfume advert, isn't it? Well, you know, with the with the biggest angel wings you've ever seen, and you know, uh, and uh, your girl in kind of uh, more of the long black gloves. 
Yeah. See, I've never got the long black gloves thing. It's just, it's really, uh, you know, it's, it's, they're an incredibly impractical garment. Um, yeah. But looks, looks amazing in this. Unless, un- unless you're, you're Christopher Timothy in All Creatures Great and Small. Yeah. And you have to stick your hands up a cow's fanny and pull out a calf. Yeah, yeah but that, you wouldn't um, want that's... velvet gloves for that, would you? No. Oh, no, the mess velvet, that no. you'd leave. <laughs> <laughs> and it has to be said, compared to other dance music of the time, the, the stuff that was coming out of America was, was a bit gay, wasn't it? <laughs> There's a lot of focus on the lads with the shirts off more than the, the, the nice lady with the big angel wings. Yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah, I mean, and and, uh, and maybe that's where it was coming from culturally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in America at that time. Yeah, well, it's so New, even New though, York. Yeah, well, I mean, even though it was, it was number one in the mainstream charts, I mean that that would be a classic thing that happened with disco as well. Disco was coming out of you know the gay scene and and sort of black and Latino um, clubs, mm. but you know it became a, a huge mainstream crossover thing, mm. and and I guess this was a um, a nineties version of that. Mm. Yeah. Being gay was finally being seen in the media and elsewhere as as something a, a little bit better than a crippling affliction that you had to hide. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? But it was around about this time where this girl I really fancied on my course invited me to a gay bar to see somebody else doing a drag act or something. Someone else on our course. I remember pitching up two skinheads at the bar with all tattoos around the neck. Just said, "No, mate." Uh, you're not coming in, you, you're not gay enough. And I, I remember walking home from that just feeling really confused because a couple of years ago he would have been, oh, yeah, fool, f- thank fuck for that. Hey, yeah, I'm old man. But like, yeah, yeah. oh, hang on, I'm missing out on something here. Yeah, yeah. And then it turned out later on, because I, I, I clocked the tattoos, the, there was a big Chelsea tattoo on the neck, and I'm pretty convinced that one of those blokes was Nicky Crane, you know, the National Front activist who's on the cover no, of Strength Through Oi. Right, yeah, yeah. Who, who later came out? I'm just thinking, oh shit, that, was that him? So right. yeah, that, very confusing. But yeah, I mean, this song's all right, but it is everybody dance now a bit more. I mean, the fact that we're talking about getting turned away from gay clubs by National Front skinheads probably tells us something about the record, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's you know doesn't really live in the memory beyond the three minutes you're listening to it. No, if that no. So the following week, here we go, only nudged up one place to number 20, its highest position. The follow-up, things that make you go, hmm, got to number four in July of this year, and they'd have four more top 40 hits through to the mid-90s, would finally settle up with Martha Wash and actually get her to join them, but CNC Music Factory came to an end in 1990 when Cole died of an AIDS-related illness. Some more music now for you to boogie to. Another track from the album Dreamland. This is Black Box Strike It Up, a new entry at number 26. Forced excitement from the kids as Davis introduces, quote, some more music now for you to boogie to. Oh, dear Gary. Yeah, again, he's not, he's not being ironic, is it? Yeah. That's such a dad thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He might as well said, oh, here's some more lovely disco. Oh, dear. The group he introduces are Black Box with Strike It Up. 
Formed in Reggio Emiliano, Italy in 1989 by the three members of an Italo house production team known as Groove Groove Melody, Black Box started their career with Ride On Time, which got to number one in the UK for six weeks in the autumn of that year, selling nearly 1.1 million copies and becoming the biggest selling single of that year. However, Midway through its run at number one, it turned out that they'd nicked the vocals from a 1980 single recorded by Lolita Holloway, which kicked off an enormous fuss, resulting in the group quietly discontinuing the original version and putting out a UK remix with vocals by Heather Small. After notching up four more top 20 singles on the bounce throughout 1990, here they are again with their fifth cut, fifth cut, from the 1990 LP Dreamland. And if you think that would learn from their experience with Ride on Time, you'd be wrong, sir or madam, because this single features the uncredited vocals of our old friend Martha Wash. And it's a new entry this week at number 26. Now, before we go into any mental scheduling by Top of the Pops here, isn't it? Yeah, putting two very similar records back to back. Yeah. And both videos. Yeah. Terrible, and it's a and it's a much cheaper video, isn't it? Yeah, much simpler, certainly. I mean, it's quite yeah. quite well lit and all of that, but no big angel wings though. No, because they've got. I mean, the 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 front person of Black Box, as far as anyone could see, was Catherine uh, Keenol, uh, who was a model, of course. Falsely, yeah. I don't know if you remember, falsely rumored to be trans, um, yeah. which you know, I mean, who cares? But it added a little intrigue to it. Particularly because, you know, a lot of kind of lads who are into house music were like, oh, fancy that bird from Black Box. And, and you know, the, <laughs> the idea that, that maybe, just maybe, they, they were barking up the wrong tree was quite exciting. But it, it turned out to be <laughs> false anyway. Um, uh. This whole thing about Martha Wash, okay, now, never mind it's raining men, it's raining lawsuits, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so, um, uh, but, but yeah, um, on... On, on this record, there's, there's so there are so many bits of misdirection and um, kind of deceit going on. Um, mm. So the the thing with the rap, apparently, right? So striking up uh, first of all, the the original illegally sampled um, a track by Nell's House featuring FFWD called Acid House, which uh, right. on, on the album version of Strike It Up. Uh, it it um it included sampling the uh, illegally the original rap on that record by Oscar Pabon, um and on, on the single version what we're hearing here it's a guy you know if this is some rap um like hundred percent yes it's a guy called Steps with a Z um AKA Stepsky um real name Lee Bennett Thompson <laughs> who'd also rapped for Quartz and Phase One among others and what he's done here Steps has just re-recorded the um the illegally borrowed Oscar Pabon rap, um, word for word. Um, so basically, nobody in this video is <laughs> is who they appear to be. It's really, it's it's quite interesting thing conceptually, this, because mm. they they present as a group in this video, you know, not just uh, Catherine, but they, there's a keyboardist, a guitarist, and all that kind of stuff, which we're not, we're not hearing any of that. So no. they're, they're kind of, they're, they're a virtual pop group. You know, it's yes. and, and and that um, everyone thinks is really clever when Damon Albarn does it, uh, <laughs> but yeah. um, but they think it's really sort of terrible and immoral when Millie Vanilli say do it. Yes, right. So I don't know. Just from a sort of pop fan's point of view, just quite interesting thing to to get your head around this thing of of, of a group 
presenting themselves as one thing where every single element of that record is not what it appears to be. Well, it's the no. sneakiness, I guess, isn't it? Is that it's like it's you're presenting it as, you know, uh, you are kind of... There's something queasy about, you know, taking credit for somebody else's shit. And, you know, but I, but what an odd experience to, to be to be her, to be Catherine. And it's like, that's what you're... I mean, obviously she had a, a career as a model, but how how odd to to be doing that i mean obviously lip syncing now is like you know there's a there's a massive thing there's a lip sync battle on um you know which is a huge show and like pop stars go and like lip sync to other and do a whole production and all they do is is mine which is fascinating to me that this has become you know become a thing yeah i i think musically this almost again this is like the other 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 black box track that you know i i didn't remember yeah and and kind of still don't but um, I think it's probably a better track than the the preceding one. I think it's probably better than the CNC Music Factory in that you know it's all. Mm. I I think it almost kind of prefigures EDM in that everything is kind of cranked up. Everything's at the same level. There's not a lot of light and shade. It's all very very bright and brash, and kind of crashy and like yeah. sort of like a a big loud print of a thing. Um, and there's the kind yeah. of like really really super flattened horns. It's like steamrolled horns are in there. <laughs> like at, at one point they mm. they they sounded like you know a French horn, and now it's just a weird noise in your ear. Um, but yeah, I I probably would have cut you know a, a modest rug to this if I'd had a couple of Bacardi breezes. <laughs> the idea that Black Box had more singles than Ride on Time is is <laughs> it does my head in. I didn't didn't even know. I just thought it came and went, and it was just a producery thing. Yeah, I did too. I remember I don't was it I don't know anybody else. That was the follow up, wasn't it? To uh, Ride on Time, mm. but um, Ride on Time is you, you almost can't overstate how huge a deal that song yeah, was. It was. It was just a real kind of turning point in music. Obviously, there had been house hit records before, like Steve Silk, mm. Hurley, Farley, Jack Master Funk, and that kind of thing. Yeah, but, big hits as well. Yeah, yeah, big hit, absolute, yeah, huge hits. But there was just something about Ride on Time which seemed to sort of crash through and you know break break the walls down for, for a whole culture and just sort of bring particularly yeah. bring Italo House particularly overground. Yeah. I mean, even these guys had had hits before. So you, you know, it's uh, Daniele Davoli, um, Valerio Semplici, and Mirko Limoni. Um, they mm. they were starlight, weren't they? Uh, uh, yeah. Numero Uno, I love that track. That was them. Yeah. And that was a great track, but it uh, it didn't have the impact that Ride on Time did. And um, uh, you know, I've been banging on about the Student Union, but I just remember that song was just on fucking rotation all the time in the disco. Yeah. In the disco there, yeah. um, this one. It was the first. It was it was like the first house hit that didn't feel like a novelty. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, oh shit, this stuff's here to stay yes. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean, this this track, Strike It Up. It's I I don't remember it. Um, it's not no. bad, um, but the fact that it's the, their fifth single, the fifth off the album, not you know, not and that's not including fucking remixes and mega mixes and what. Yeah, have who did they think they are, Michael Jackson or something? Um, I mean, it's, it says it all. It's, it's very much got a fifth single off the album feel to it. But the fact it's still being bought into the charts is, yeah. you know, that says something. Number sixteen, yeah, it's not. Bad. It's the same formula in it. There's a bit of plinky plonk. There's a belting singer, and then there's some rap about how this music is dead good, and you should be dancing to it. That's <laughs> pretty much the formula now, isn't it? Yeah, and it's all by other people who you can't see. And in the in the meantime, Martha Walsh is just sitting there going, "What the fuck's going on?" Yeah, people want her sound, but they don't want her. Can't yeah. have felt nice. That's a bit shit, isn't it? It's like, yeah, yeah. you're kind of, you know, you, you're a, a bit Rubenesque for for the for the for the times. Yeah. You know, we need we need it's it's 
skinny girls. It's just what people want. Sorry, nothing personal. In a genre where you're not supposed to be gawping at people on stage, you're supposed to be dancing like a bastard to them. What's what's the point? Yeah. So the following week, Strike It Up leapt up eight places to number 18 and would get as high as number 16. The follow-up, Open Your Eyes, was an LP cut too far, only getting to number 48 in December of this year, but they'd have two more minor top 40 hits in the mid-90s. It's Fergal Sharkey. Clearly That he loves you dearly Just by the way He looks at you But I've got news for you, girl I love you too Born in Derry in 1958, Sean Fergal Sharker was the lead singer of The Undertones from 1975 to 1983, who we covered in the last episode of Chart Music. After the band split up, mainly due to Sharky wanting out, he linked up with Vince Clark, who had just split up Yazoo and put out the one-shot single Never Never under the name The Assembler, which got to number four in November of 1983. He started his solo career proper the following year when he collaborated with Cole Smith of Madness for Listen to Your Father, which was also the debut release for Zar Jazz, Madness's own record label which was part of Virgin, which got to number 23 in November of 1984. After getting to number 6 in August of 1985 with Loving You, he got to number 1 for two weeks in November of 85 with A Good Heart and followed it up with You Little Thief, which got to number 5 in January of 1986. In 1988, his second LP and the single from it failed to chart and he dropped off the radar until now with his third LP, Songs from the Mardi Gras, and this single, which was co-written by Sharky and Dennis Morgan, who wrote I Knew You Were Waiting For Me with Simon Climey for Aretha Franklin and George Michael, and it's nipped up two places this week, from number 14 to number 12. Now then, me dears, we, we did cover the undertones in the last episode, And here's Fergal 10 years down the line in the guise of a mid-80s crooner on the comeback trail. So let's start with a brief appraisal of his solo career from your point of view. My favourite thing about um, his uh, solo career is that um, A Good Heart and You Little Thief Mm. were were written by warring ex-lovers. Yes. Um, It was... Maria McKee, and it's going to do my head in who the guy was, but they are basically fighting it out via Fergal Sharkey's rather nice voice. Yes. I like his voice, by the way, um, which I think is a really weird, weird thing to have happened in pop. Yeah, poor Fergal, um, man. It was a bit harsh in the last episode where he was described, I think secondhand um, yes. via Alan Jones, as looking like a bucket with a dent in it. Um, <laughs> yes. I, th- I think by this point, I hope I'm not wrong in this, but he's had a bit of work done. Yeah. He's had a bit of cosmetic surgery by the time we're seeing him here, so yeah. he no longer looks like a bucket with a dent in it. And he's got 
uh, a bit like Saffron, actually. Nice, glossy hair. Lovely, glossy yes. hair. Um, yeah, like he's just the, stepped out of a salon. Yeah. <laughs> you, you you mentioned the, um, the the assembly track there. I absolutely adore that. Never, yeah, never. I totally forgot about that until I was doing the it's, research for this. It's a magnificent record, and his voice is just perfect for synth pop. It's heartbreaking. And you, you can also, yeah. because I um, hope I'm not getting the timeline wrong, but I think um, the assembly comes between Depeche Mode and Yazoo. Either mm, way, it, yeah. it totally fits into um, Vince Clark's thing of using synth pop with a really sort of tremulous, uh, emotional human voice and sort of yes. contrast, contrasting the two. Um, and yeah. and I, I wish he'd done more. I, I would love yeah, to it's shocking that more. they only did one single. Yeah, or just just in general, I would have loved to hear Fergal singing more kind of synthy stuff. But mm. but never mind. He's he's gone he's gone very old school on this one, hasn't he? Yeah. It's 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 um, obviously you mentioned Dennis Morgan, who, as you say, wrote for Aretha Franklin, and he was also session muso in Nashville. So he's got that kind of old school. Yeah. Uh, he's got those got those chops. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And it's it's a torch song, isn't it? It's something that. Mm. Um, you can imagine Otis Redding singing it. It's it's not amazing, but it's kind of agreeably no. old school. And um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess it's all right. I quite like it. Yeah, because this episode now is taking a uh, a, a, a more adulterated tone, isn't it? Sort of yeah. a more traditional tone, shall we say? Yeah, I'll tell you what though. Right, there is something a bit creepy about this song in the lyrics. In the, um, mm. it goes now every night when I go to sleep can't tell you the hell I'm going through because I know he's making love to you girl and I love you too I, mm. there's something a bit creepy about that it's not quite in the every breath you take Lee no but but you do imagine him kind of across the road in a car um <laughs> noting yes. down her comings and goings in a book yeah. and and uh and occasionally phoning but not saying anything like you know stupid <laughs> marriage yeah yeah yes yeah yeah like stupid marriage for the specials yeah, yeah but he doesn't love a brick through the window He's, he's no, he doesn't love it. Well, we don't know that, but no. he's 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 acting a bit entitled, if you know what I mean. Here, yeah. it's like it's basically like you know, I'm I'm a nice guy, I'm Fergal Sharky. What are you going out with him for? Yes, sort of thing. Yeah. Booking the room next door and kind of pressing a glass up against it, you know, pressing a glass <laughs> against the wall. Fuck, yeah. and, you know. What's she yeah, doing? Yeah. I don't want Fergal Sharky singing about adult themes and stuff like that. I would have wanted an update on his cunty cousin. <laughs> I want to know what he's getting up to now. Well, he's he's um he's probably his got his own kicks. software house or something. Yeah, yeah. He's had his teenage <laughs> kicks, and now he's moaning about other people having their grown-up kicks. So mm. yeah, yeah, it, it's all right. This I I don't mind it. It's um I prefer it to uh, a good heart, which I've I've never never liked. It, mm. it it is very basic. It's quite sort of meat and potatoes, uh, croonery. Mm. Um, I I didn't, and also it's it's like the opposite of the undertones, isn't it? I always find it remarkable when people yes. kind of springboard off something into something completely different and you know obviously there's many examples yeah. of this um mm. uh, you know this is what he really wanted to do isn't it it's it's like is is do this serious yeah. stuff which is um yeah no i mean his yeah really unusual voice doesn't really it's never kind of landed for me it doesn't really resonate for me do you know what i mean it's like sometimes mm. There's like your your skull is the wrong shape or something for so like it's never going to hit your ears right you know um, I feel mm. like he's kind of trying a bit too hard and you know it, yeah. it there's something a bit there's something a bit strained about it um, but you know it's um, it's it's you know I'm, I'm I feel bad for him that he didn't kind of get to 
the place that he wanted to get to with this. I was I was talking to my mate uh, this weekend and we were watching this episode and he just went, oh, fucking hell, that's, that's the bloke who went to my assembly, funnily enough. When he was at school in the, in the mid-80s, um, they, they had an assembly. Then all of a sudden, the headmaster turned around and went, oh, here's, um, here's Fergal Sharker, <laughs> who was doing a gig in, in Nottingham that day. And uh, yeah, for, for some reason, and no, no, he doesn't know why, Fogel Sharky just turned up at their assembly and the, the, the gale of screaming from, from the kids. I mean, he, he said that, the, the, that a couple of girls next to him fainted at the sight of Fogel Sharky standing on their assembly hall. He's not that ugly. <laughs> but yeah, and, and he just stood there and just looked like he wanted to be anywhere else in the world. It's because his agent said to him, uh, we got you a gig with the assembly. And he thought, he yeah. Was again, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know what Sarah means about it sounding strained, actually. There is one particular note mm. he hits in the very last verse where he's trying to put all the emotion into it. And it's like, ah, yeah. you know, whatever. And he's just trying too hard. I think what he's trying to do um, with, with this song in general, actually, he wants a bit of that kind of um, adult oriented Curtis Steiger's yes. uh, Michael Bolton dollar. He's going for that kind of thing here, isn't he? Could this be one of the very last examples of uh, the saxophone? Oh yeah, we need to do this, don't we? We need we need to kind of track the uh, the sax mm. solo. Uh, you know the 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 rise and fall of the <laughs> of the sax solo. So the following week, I've got news for you. Dropped one place to number thirteen, and he decided to call time on his music career to become an A and R for Polydor. When the undertones reformed in 1999, he knocked back the offer to rejoin them and the only performance he has ever made since retiring was to sing Never Never at an Erasure gig in 2011, later saying that Clock was the only person he would have done that for and after his last LP, he, quote, just felt he could not go on making that intellectual and emotional investment anymore. And now him and Ken from Bross basically run the music industry. yes. <laughs> Which is kind of something nobody ever saw coming, but there we go. Well, I've got news for you, girl. I love you too. Isn't that beautiful? And singing live, Fergal Sharky, I've got news for you. He's got a new album called Songs from Mardi Gras out on Monday. Top 10 now. Up three places to number ten, it's the Snap Mega Mix. This week's number nine, the Stonk from Hale and Pace and the Stonkers. No change at eight, it's too late, Quartz featuring Dinah Carroll. And at seven, Let There Be Love from Simple Minds. At number six, where the streets have no name, the Pet Shop Boys. Up five places to five, Secret Love from the Bee Gees. Up one at four, it's Roxette with Joyride. And no change at number three, Rhythm of My Heart, Rod Stewart. Climbing five places to number two, it's James with Sit Down. And here's Britain's number one for the second week running, Chesney Hawks, the one and only. Davis waxes straight into the top ten, coming out the other end with this week's number one, The One and Only by Chesney Hawks. 
Born in Windsor in 1971, Chesney Hawkes was the son of Chip Hawkes, who replaced Brian Paul as the lead singer of the Tremolos in the mid-60s. He started songwriting at the age of 12, and when he left school he formed his own band called Adrenaline. When that was going nowhere, he ended up as a pianist in assorted wine bars in an attempt to justify to his dad that he could make a living as a muso by the age of 18, lest he be forced to do his A-levels. Then, in 1990, he was in a hospital bed after a wisdom tooth removal when he saw Roger Daltrey being interviewed on TVAM, who announced that he was looking for a youth who could sing and play guitar to play his son in the forthcoming film Buddy's Song. So he attended the audition and was given the part. This song, which was written by Nick Kershaw, was the lead-off single from the soundtrack LP, which doubled as Hawks' debut single. And while the film was being panned by the critics, the single was languishing round the arse end of the chart. But it was helped massively by an appearance on the Little and Large show. It took massive bounds upwards, and it's now at its second week at number one after it shoved the stonk by Hale and Pace and the Stonkers off the top of the mountain and here he is in the studio well roger daltrey and little and large thanks thanks a lot (laughs) before we get stuck into chesner i knew only four of that week's top 10 uh pet shop boys roxette james and this which is a shocking reflection upon my relationship with the charts at the time yeah i I was thinking the same thing when when i was uh listening to that countdown uh from gary davis there uh it just sort of rammed home to me how far out of touch I was with the mainstream at that time. Because, yeah. I mean, for a start, Hail and Pace, um, The Stonk by Hail and Pace and The Stonkers, there yeah. was, uh, it was, it was a whole national in-joke that I wasn't privy to. Was yeah. it Red Nose Day? Yeah, Comic Relief, yeah. Right, Comic Relief, yeah. Um, I mean, the word stonk being, being enough somehow to carry the joke because it means having a boner or whatever. Yeah. Fuck's sake. Um and and yeah, there there are quite a lot of examples in this chart of big acts having a hit I've never heard of. So yeah. earlier on in the countdown, there was the Rolling Stones with something called High Wire, which I yeah. can't remember at all. Here in the top ten, we've got Simple Minds, Let There Be Love. Nope, no mm. idea. Uh, the Bee Gees at number five, Secret Love. Nope, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, never heard yeah. that. You know? And it's you know the fucking Bee Gees number five. Why don't I know that song? Yeah. Um so so yeah, it it is weird that that um that, that, that kind of separation. Um, the mm. other thing that stood out to me was was James at number two with yes. Sit Down. So even though in some ways we're talking about the arse end of Manchester, it, you, you could also make a case it's at its fucking peak with you know James. Uh, mm. Or 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 is that a case of a band who've sort of um, used Manchester as a ladder as a step up and now they're sort of they've ascended to. Yeah, you know, their own thing. I don't know. Yeah. They were always kind of their own thing, weren't they, James? I mean, obviously, at this time, that's kind of where they sprouted yeah. from. But then, you know, I think they're still going now, and they've just always been slightly. They've always yeah, been yeah, like yeah, an oddity, are. you know, in in that way. So yeah, but obviously that single, just you know, unbelievably massive. Um, yeah, no, but I'm the same. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the Rod Stewart track. I didn't know the Bee Gees one. All the Simple Minds one. I remember the Dina Carroll one. The Snap Snap Mega Mix, though. I'd forgotten this was such a... The kind of brand yeah. tub dance thing where it's just like, we'll just stick a few things together and bung it out. That was such an odd thing. Jive Bunny's still in the charts, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. What, what a strange business all that was. Yeah, weird times. But this song. Sarah. <laughs> I was the target the, the, audience the, the, for Chesney Hawks, is what you're about to say. 
you were. Well, I, I, I yes. it left me. Uh, I, I was, I was not asked though. Did you not fancy him? No, I didn't really fancy. I. It took me ages <laughs> to realise that fancying God. people was a thing. Even you know, I was quite oblivious for quite right. a long time. Um, you know, yeah. Good for no, you. Well, no. Also, uh, for, no. He looks. He does look incredibly young. In there. I mean, how old was he at this point? He's 18, 19, he's 19. It's crazy, isn't it? Like, because, you know, when you're younger than the people on top of the pops and then you, uh, you know, and then they, they stay that age and you overtake them and then you look back and you go, fucking hell, they were so young. Like, you know, when Craig, we, we saw Craig David, who was like 18 at the time. It was like, what? Yeah. You know, he's a, he's a, a fucking schoolboy, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, mm. I had that slightly disturbing um, sensation of just going, wow, he's a, he's a kid. And there was always that that sense of like, oh my god, this person is so young. Are they really ready for being number one in in the pop charts? Um, yeah. So at the time, I I I did not. I wasn't into this. I found this quite quite annoying. My first thought on on seeing and, and hearing this again was, um, I bet Chesney Hawks is pissed that it was Rick Astley who was turned into an internet prank and not him. <laughs> yes. Do you know what I mean? I just thought, I bet he just has occasionally thinks about that and just has a little spit to himself, you know? Or maybe not, maybe he thinks he got off lightly, but, you know, you can just imagine there is a timeline, whether, it, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's the better universe than this one or not, but in another universe, hmm. it was I am the one and only that was the Rick roll. Mm. I don't know. It's, it's quite naff, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's a naff record. Um, and there isn't even, a, <laughs> it's very, like, it, it's kind of too much conditioner, pop rock chuggity chug with a bad kind of bendy solo in the middle and there isn't even a key change no this needs a key change if ever a you know and i i kind of have i love a key change because apart from the else just because of how how much it upsets people they're like oh no and they kind of cringe and rend their garments it's like <laughs> yeah key change so you know but they didn't go for it and i was i was most disappointed to uh to remember this yeah Kind of looks like uh, Keanu Reeves' little brother, Keanu Reeves' blonde, blonde yeah. little brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, I must say, uh, looking at what he looks like now as well, he has, he's uh, hats off to him. He is aged in the Keanu Reeves fashion and looks great. He's really like grown yes. into his face. You know, he looks. He's he's a handsome dude. Simon, your thoughts? Uh, this fucking ninny. <laughs> I, I... I I really hated this. One thing I hated for a start was just that he and it haven't got the memo that it's the 90s. Yes. You know, it, it's such a fucking um, 1986 It's a fucking Nick Kershaw record. song, for fuck's sake. Yeah, 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 Nick Kershaw, exactly. Um, it's quite harsh on Nick and, Kershaw, I think, actually. But but I under, but I know no, what you mean. I don't think anything. <laughs> mm, there's, there's not a lot that would be too harsh for Nick Kershaw, <laughs> to be honest. But um, you, know, you know how loads of the things that you kind of scorned when you were younger for being cheesy or whatever they, mm. they kind of grow lovable with age yeah this has not no for me. you no. know plenty of stuff from this era that i thought oh sort of commercial bollocks i fucking love now but not this 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 is just totally dreadful um mm. i mean even the fucking lyrics right yeah we're talking about an era when the berlin wall has come down and and nelson mandela has walked to freedom uh and we, we're entering the era that you know, Francis Fukuyama was talking about with the end of history and all yes. that. All the great struggles are supposed to have been fought and won. And to soundtrack that, right, here we go. <laughs> We've got um, My Soul Embraces, One More in a Million Faces, High Hopes and Aspirations, and Years Above My Station. 
Maybe, but all this time I've tried to walk with dignity and pride. And then it's like, I can't wear this uniform without some compromises because you'll find out that we come in different shapes and sizes. And it's all this kind of self-determination Jesus. bollocks that, you know, it's it's as if he thinks he's fucking Labby Sifre singing something inside so strong. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. When he's just some fucking white kid with, like, too much shampoo. And <laughs> yeah. it's... Uh, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm almost becoming inarticulate with rage at how much I, I fucking hate this record. What, what it is, right, just the fact that it's called The One and Only. Yeah. Because it, and he's, try, he's, he's trying to express individualism while making the most generic music pop possible and looking like someone who's... And basically, he's, he's totally the product of the man, capital mm. T, capital M, isn't he? Yes. He is, he, he is what parents want teenagers to be like. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, Sarah mentioning the kind of um, potential rehabilitation that he missed out on by not becoming an internet meme. I, I remember the, the closest he got was uh, a few years ago. I was watching Celebrity Big Brother. Yes. And there was some, some weird thing where they built a kind of craven shrine to Chesney Hawks in the back garden of the Big Brother house. And um, Mutia Buena, who uh, I absolutely adore, and some other fucking nobody had to go out in the garden and pray um and do this ritual where they, where they had to um do this movement that was chest knees hawks or something i can't remember how it, oh, how it worked. right yeah yeah um and and he would appear or something like that but it never really caught on it never gave him the career boost that um you know rick rolling did <laughs> so in in summary it's a no from the price jury it is proper sure. bollocks isn't it really um it gave me a slight whiff of um of the of i'll be there for you the the friends theme only a little bit though it's not it's actually not even as good as that Mm. um but also the first line gave me a a kind of friend's thought as well which is always welcome which is call me by my name call me by my number and it reminded me of the great uh the uh, phoebe at some point a a bloke says to her um oh phoebe that's a pretty name she says oh yeah you like that you should hear my phone number which is such a good... <laughs> no one's ever going to say that to me. I'm never going to... Sarah is such a generic name. That's never... I'm never going to be able to, to like, uh... throw that one in. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he's, he's a... It, it's it's a very sort of deodorised um, nothing of a, of a number one, really. Alas. I mean, this song is the only song on the whole episode that puts me back in the, in the time and the place. Yeah. Uh, because yes, because his brother and the other members of his band were at my university at the time. No way. Yes, they were. They were on the music course. Wow. Unlike my shitty drama course, the music course was quite prestigious. And so, at this time when the song came out, uh, they were far and away the big men on campus. And so, lots of sucky girls in my year would kind of like moon about them, while me and my mates used to just sit in the corner blithely ignoring them and saying how sad, to use the parlance of the day, it all was. So I know for a fact, while I'm not watching the Top of the Pops, my shitty fucking SU, which was the size of a shoebox, would have been rammed out with people watching the telly tonight. But they weren't even... It's not like they got to call themselves a band. It wasn't like no. Chesney and the and the Hawks or something. No, no. It's a bit of a shame for them, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But But, you know, all the time while this is going on, I'm there going, oh, fucking hell, you're on top of the pops. <laughs> so even though we may coat them down, etc. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it got to the point where they actually left their prestigious courses 
to go out on the road with Chesney and be in his band and, and you know... How did that work out for them? Yeah, and have success <laughs> after success right through the 90s. So, yeah, don't, don't know what happened to them, but, you know... So why didn't it work out for Chesney Hawks in the end? He had nothing else in the locker. The follow-up was, I'm a man, not a boy, wasn't it? Mm. Um, which is basically the same song again. Yeah. Um, no, he had nothing. And, like, sooner or later, even if he didn't know it was the 90s, everyone else did. So it was like, sorry, mate, you know. Yeah. We're not doing this shit anymore. So the one and only would spend three more weeks at number one being usurped by the Shoop Shoop song by Cher. It would have not one but two promotional videos, one of which involved a girl watching Buddy's song when Chesney Hawks jumps out of the screen and beckons her into the store cupboard, only for him to be chased by his teddered-up dad until he drags her into the screen for a snog. And that girl grew up to be Saffron of Enjoy and Republica. Ah. Mm. The follow-up. I'm a man, not a boy, only got to number 27 in June of this year, and he was doomed to wander the non-charty wasteland until this very day. You know who the other woman, the other girl in that video is? Yeah, it's um, uh, Lucy Alexander, isn't it? Who's now um, a presenter of Homes Under the Hammer. (laughs) Yes, she is. Yeah, seriously, right? I say this with all disclaimers about um, objectifying women, but she's ridiculously attractive. She's she's like this ultimate milf who basically turns up at people's houses and um, tells them how they can jazz up their house with a view to selling it on the market. Uh, Nobody's listening to her. No one is. There all, all these all these blokes there in their fucking overalls and stuff, waiting for some advice. They're just looking at her thinking. God, you're so attractive. But anyway, yeah, that's her. She, she's the girl in the video. The other girl, the, the one that's not Saffron. The, the Chesney York's not interested in. I can't remember the plot now, I'll be honest with you, but she's in it. Yeah. He's still putting himself about today, isn't he, Sarah? He is. Uh, it uh, it appears there is a there is a thing called the Ches event. Yes, a weekend with Chesney Hawks, the one and only. Holy shit! Join us for an exclusive weekend with the one and only Chesney Hawks, hosted in a farm in Leicestershire. Spend a wonderful weekend of luxury in our beautiful glamping village with one of the most iconic legends of the 80s and 90s. <laughs> That's one that, decade too far, That for starters. That is a stretcheroo, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> mm. um, also, yeah, the, the, in the small print, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, um, it says that, you know, it's a yeah. beautiful glamping village. They don't provide bedding. So it's not that glamp. No. <laughs> no. So you've you've looked you've looked into it then. You've you've gone that far of like checking out facilities and thinking, eh, maybe. Yeah. But the weekend will include Chesney Hawks meet and greet. Chesney Hawks acoustic set. Chesney Hawks full band performance. Chesney Hawks DJ set. Coyote featuring Chesney Hawks. <laughs> Chesney Hawks, This Is Your Life, hosted by Pat Sharp. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? Can we scrape up some money to send Taylor to this? <laughs> he would be literally the only bloke as well, wouldn't he? Poor Ta- I mean, you know. The one and only. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, did Chesney have any gay fans, do you think? Nah. I don't know. Got too much taste. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, like I said, though, uh, you know, looking at the, uh, the, the, the picture of him that, that goes with this, he he looks he looks good, he looks good. You know, I would I would I would consider it. Mm. I would consider meeting, if not fully greeting him. So you know, 
<laughs> Meet and or greet. But it is gonna be it's gonna be a bunch of horny horny scrubbers, isn't oh. it, really? It's I would I hope he's got good security. <laughs> you can so, say that, Sarah. We can't I, say I can. That. And yeah. with all due disclaimers, yeah. you know, I'm sorry sorry the sisterhood, but um, you know. You know what I'm. You know what I mean. Look, Pricey, you and I went to uh, you. You uh, you had me along to the uh, the O2 for Robbie a few years ago. Robbie, yeah, Williams. and mm. it's that crowd, isn't it? It's the it's um, yeah, terrifying. Just, uh, a much smaller version. Yeah, of it. <laughs> terrifying prosecco ladies out out on the prowl. You know, probably holding up bed sheets with "Can I be your fuck buddy?" on them. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. yeah. Chesney Hawks, uh, apparently at the age of nine, he cried when John Lennon died, don't you know? Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe it was in Simon. Maybe it was him that, that you, your mates were talking about at school. Fuck. I knew there was a reason I hated him. Yeah. Yeah, we need to go to his weekend do and just go, John Lennon! Oh! <laughs> Fuck. Tune into the chart show on Radio 1 FM at 4.30. Mark Biddy Bags will tell you all. And next week on Top of the Pops, it's Anthea Turner. It's so noisy in it. Hope you've enjoyed our live show. We'll leave you Mike and the mechanics and word of mouth. Good night. Davis complains about the fucking incessant rattle of the fucking audience, warns us that Anthea Turner is on next week, and winds up the show with word of mouth by Mike and the Mechanics. Formed in Dover in 1985, Mike and the Mechanics were the side project of Mike Rutherford, the bassist of Genesis, which also featured vocalist Paul Carrick of Ace, who had a number 20 hit with How Long in 1975, and Paul Young, not the flex suit singer but the frontman of Sad Cafe, who looked like Chris Morris. After their debut single, Silent Running, got to number 21 in March of 1986, they and the charts existed without each other for the next two years, until they hit pay dirt with The Living Years, which got to number two for three weeks in January of 1989, held off number one by Something's Gotten Hold of My Heart by Mark Almond and Gene Pitney. This is the first cut from their new LP, also entitled Word of Mouth, which has come out this week, and it's the follow-up to Nobody Knows, which only got to number 81 in May of 1989. And it's up this week from number 39 to number 35. Oh, we've taken a dark turn here, haven't we? The last three songs. All the dancing and all the Manchester rubbish, it's, it's been swept away, and we're, we're back in the mid-80s again. These dreadful men making their dreadful <laughs> noise. And it's yeah. so, uh, it, it's, you know, I mean, at least it's not, the best you can say for this is that it's not the living years, which is which yeah. is a, a horrible thing. But yeah, it, it's like, uh, they're just kind of shouting horribly. And then there's a bad bendy solo. What is it with like bendy guitar solo? Just, this is a, a, mm. an episode replete with, uh, with, with that kind of, that kind of guitar bother. Mm. Um, and they do a kind of, um, they do a, an attempted kind of crowd sing-alongy bit 
it's built into the middle of this song. It's a come on, na 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 na. It's like no, no, not come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You must earn a na 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 na. You can't just yes. put yes. it in there. Earn the na na na. That's yeah. That's good advice for any songwriter. Yeah. yeah. I did not na. Yeah. Nor did I na. <laughs> The, the best thing, also the good thing is that at least you know this is the end. It's not going to. There have been top of the yeah, pops where they've played the video, and it's the whole thing, and the credits run out, and the video's still going. And it's like yes, yes, brilliant. And mercifully, uh, you don't even see the entire thing because they do this weird effect where there's like a they squeeze the screen into a kind of hourglass shape, yes. don't they? So yeah. you can't even kind of see it, which is a you know small small mercy. And yeah. then it cuts off in the middle, so it's like oh. Thank God. Yeah, Top of the Pops really don't like doing videos around about this time. I mean, really, really, really don't. But it's like, that's, you know, if you're going to show the thing, show it. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit perfunctory, isn't it? Yeah, they're kind of assuming that everyone's seen it 50,000 times on MTV. And it's like, no. There would be some dads sitting there going, oh, yeah, this is all right. Oh, it's gone. It's, well, it's not right. Not fair on the dads. Uh, the entire episode has not been fair to dads. Well, I don't know. Um, you know, the dad, the dads have got other stuff going on. Why don't you go and do some do some dad stuff then? Do some actual fathering instead of you know sitting there complaining. Yeah. Instead of writing in to say, um, actually, you didn't show the entirety of the Mike and the Mechanics video. I feel quite shortchanged. Mm. I pay my tax. No, go and pay attention to your kids. Yeah, <laughs> dads have got a satellite anyway. Yeah, yeah, they could be trying to tilt the satellite to get verotique or something. <laughs> Simon, you've been. Quiet on the subject of Mike and the Mechanics. The the outro slash intro there from uh, uh, Gary Davis. I, I wondered if he was getting a little bit delirious towards the end of the show because um, <laughs> he he calls Mark Goodyear Mark Goody Bags, which was that kind of awful cheesy yeah. nickname he has. And then and then when when he's yeah. telling us Anthea Turner's presenting the following weeks, he, he's he's laughing, and I'm thinking is is he laughing? at the idea of Anthea Turner presenting Top of the Pops? Or is is he laughing in a sort of mm. delayed reaction to his own Mark Goodybags joke? Or or is it just some kind of nervous yeah. chuckle that comes in, you know, as, as a sort of almost reflexive radio DJ tick? It's it's a bit odd. Maybe mm. he's being thrown off by... Because he's like, oh, it's so loud in here, because he has got people screaming in his ears at this point. Yeah. And right. so, you know, I, I, yeah, so, I yeah. he's a pro, but I, uh, maybe that, that is it. He's trying to make a joke of it and... You know, and he does seem like he's having a slight wobble at the end of it. Because ah, maybe, yeah. Maybe. I don't know, to be kind to him. Who knows? This this song, I mean, for, for start, Mike and the Mechanics, I agree with you. Uh, why are they still around? Um, it's at, at this point. Yeah. It's definitely music for Partridge. It's like, you know, at the start of um, Alpha Papa, there, there's a yes. bit where um, Alan's driving... Uh, and, and he's he's got Cuddly Toy by Roachford playing, and he's like really getting into <laughs> yeah. it. Um, you could imagine if it wasn't Cuddly Toy, it could be this. It's that kind of song. Um, I, the, my... As he raises a string-backed, gloved fist in the air <laughs> exactly. through his sunroof. <laughs> um, one thing I noted down watching this episode uh, was that I thought it's a very German idea of a rock anthem, right? Uh, Mm. Perhaps because I felt like I wanted someone to blame. I wanted someone other than (laughs) than the British to blame. But um, I I did my sort of due diligence and I checked, um, you know, to see if it was a hit there. I was kind of hoping that my theory would be borne out by, you know, being a massive Mm. hit in Germany. No, it was only number 27 in Germany and number 13 here. So, no, we've we've, Uh, we've got to own this. We've got to, it's our fault. Germany is like everyone else, man. They are rocking until they are hot. (laughs) So... um, uh, the the um, I mean just just the kind of visual thing there are 
There are calf-length leather success coats on, on everything. <laughs> yes. There are headless guitars. Headless, maybe fretless as well. I couldn't quite pick out. Um, yeah. So, it's yeah, it's just really awful. Uh, um, the lyrics are actually a kind of dire premonition of the era of, of fake news. Yes. Uh, there's, right, I'm going to read this verse here. It goes, uh, um, you don't believe the information. You don't believe it when it's denied. So when you're reading explanations, you have to read between the lines and all this kind of stuff, which, you know, seems mm. a little bit kind of ahead of its time from Mike Rutherford there with the conspiracy theory stuff. Yes. He might be talking about the weekly world news or Sunday sport yeah. or something. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that bus didn't end up on the moon. <laughs> so um, the singer Paul Young here, I, I was actually into both Paul Youngs <laughs> at different times. Mm. Um, but this put, because I, I went through a very brief sad cafe phase when I was about know? yeah, when I was about twelve, um, and uh, um, I, I got this really, I got this terrible, embarrassing memory that makes me cringe to this day of something that happened involving Sad Cafe, um, which which is that um, uh, my my dad and stepmom took me out for a burger in Cardiff to this fancy um, uh, American diner called Lexington's, and uh, maybe it's my birthday because I was talking about records that I might like to have. And uh, one of them was the new Sad Cafe album. Now, I was quite good at French at school. Right. And, uh, you know, I could pronounce most things properly. But I hadn't learned about the cedilla yet, the little squiggle underneath the letter C that you get mm. on some words. So um, Sad Cafe had an album out called Facades. Yes. But I didn't understand. I thought it was called Facades. <laughs> so um, I, I said, I said, I, yeah, yeah, Sad Cafe. I really want their album, Facades. <laughs> and my dad and stepmom just looking at me with the jaws open, like, what's it called? <laughs> Facades. Can can you spell that? And I spelt it, and they just breathed a sigh of relief. Oh, oh, right, Facades. Yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I never did get the album, but I've got. I've got an enamel Sad Cafe badge, which I wear with pride right. to this day, to, almost to try and get over my still raw, still still hot-eared memory oh. of, of that uh, embarrassing moment. It could have been worse. It could have been Facades, you know. <laughs> got, yeah. You got any Facades? Oh, another thing I noticed with this video. Um, the closing credits tell us that there's a job uh, on the show called a resource coordinator. Now, right. um, if, if ever there was a euphemism for, I mean, with, with, for a drugs gopher, yeah. right? With, yeah. This is a, a, a 1991 Top of the Pops, the, the era of dance music and baggy, mm. and there's a resource coordinator <laughs> on, the, on the credits. I'm just saying, okay. Mm. They, get the, they get the flowers. They get the flowers in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Flowers the, and fruit. The flowers, yeah. yeah. Those flowers that <laughs> yeah, everyone yeah. likes. Yeah, <laughs> there was there was there also a, a video titles artist or something which seemed seemed like oh. uh, seemed a bit extra for the time and for the uh, the, the quite indifferent fonts yeah, but, used. But, yeah, but the video titles are a bit you know jazzy, aren't I suppose, they? Yeah. On um, Deep Deep Trouble, uh, all the words change into this stick figure with with high heels on walking. Yeah, for a that bit. is a good point. Oh, it's for some bizarre weird. reason. Yeah, okay. I guess it's I guess it's art. Artistry of a, of a type, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so the following week, word of mouth jumped 12 places to number 23 and would eventually get to number 13. I'm shocked reading that out. The follow-up, a time and a place would only get to number 58 and they'd have to wait four years before ever bothering the top 40 again. And that, me dears, is the end of this episode of Top of the Pops. What's on the telly afterwards? Well, I'll tell you, shall I? 
BBC One follows up with EastEnders, where Sharon has a face like a smacked arse, as per usual. Then a designer pig pen is showcased on Tomorrow's World, followed by the sitcom Doctor at the top, then the 9 o'clock news, a repeat of Open All Hours, the documentary series Rough Justice about people who were gone banged up when they didn't do nothing. The amateur modern section of the UK Dance Championships presented by Angela Rippon, then Heartbeat, the American drama series, not Nick Berry's rubbish one. Then the documentary series Ramadan, A Month to Remember, then All About Ambridge, a documentary about the archers, and they stay up dead late for the results of the Neath by-election. BBC Two is now showing the magazine show First Sight about the poll tax, then the Scottish sitcom City Lights, Top Gear from the Daytona 500 race in Florida, a repeat of Up Pompeii, then Video Vultures, the 40 minutes documentary about people who go around the scabbier bits in New York with a camcorder that can be sold to the news networks. Then the comedy series The Staggering Stories of Ferdinand de Bargos, followed by Newsnight and The Late Show. ITV is running the medical docu soap Jimmy's, followed by The Bill, This Week, LA Law, The News at 10, a regional magazine show, a repeat of the daytime soap Families, the documentary Reawakenings about people who snap out of long-term comas, a repeat of The Equaliser, the 1975 Peter Fonda and Telly Savalas film The Diamond Mercenaries, and they finish off at 3.20am with Cinema Attractions, the dirt cheap movie preview clip show. Channel 4 is still running Channel 4 News, then it's Spaceship Earth, Another eco-doc, this time about the great river basins of the world. Then the Crystal Maze, followed by the Nick Broomfield documentary about beardy mentalist Eugene Terreblanche, the leader, his driver and the driver's wife. The 1984 Anne Bancroft film Garbo Talks, and they round off the night with the medical documentary East End GPs. Fucking hell, so many documentaries. I'm just thinking of the Twitter outrage there would be from some murky quarters now if there was a documentary series called Ramadan. Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. So, what are we talking about in the playground tomorrow, my dears? As Sarah was literally in a playground, I think she needs to answer this one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, What's to talk about, really? Mm. Uh, I suppose Chesney Hawks. Yeah. Because... If I was trying to get in with the popular kids, maybe. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, so I don't know. I would just, I would, uh, I, I think I'd just stay and try to get my homework done early, you know. Oh. <laughs> if, that, if these were the options. Simon? A big fat nothing, mm. really. I mean, fucking hell. Um, Zelma Davis's Angel Wings at a stretch, yeah. maybe. <laughs> but nah, nothing. And what are we buying on Saturday? Again, nothing. Um, maybe... <laughs> um, the mock the mock turtles for just for the DJ booth at UCL Union because um, we used to do that send somebody out to buy the latest sort of chart entries mm. um, and probably actually for, probably for the same reason uh, we'd have gone out and bought the black box enjoy and CNC Music Factory yeah. records just just for the disco but not for personal use. Mm. Mm. Um, I'd, I'd I'd probably I'd probably get enjoy. It's a it is a tune I enjoy Ooh. and I'm, I'm I did at the time so yeah. That was definitely, it was the high point of the episode for me, so yeah, that one. And what does this episode tell us about April of 1991? Everyone was tired or out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's about, yeah, that's about right, isn't it? Um, I had this feeling of like, is that it? 
uh, at the end of this episode because mm. it, it felt quite quite short as well as being shit. Yeah. Uh, um, it's like like that, um, that 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 old Jewish joke, isn't it? About um, some, <laughs> some, some 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 women complaining about the food at a restaurant, and they're going and such small portions. As well. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and um, so so that um, just the fact that Top of the Pops is as far from the centre of the zeitgeist as it had ever been. It's really not appointment viewing or essential viewing at no. all and and that we've got a lot of the kind of runts of the litter of not just in terms of the acts but even within those acts the runts of the litter of their own discographies you know we've got lots yeah. of um follow-ups to the follow-ups to the follow-up we've got lots of famous acts with the song nobody remembers by them mm. uh and we've got a sense that Manchester and house have kind of had their day and we're waiting around for something new. Before I watched this episode, I just thought, oh, fucking hell, 1991. Blinding year for music. There's going to be some decent shit on this. And it was like, yeah, I'm still waiting. Come on. You know, the idea that Top of the Pops is about to dive down to 4 million viewers. Well, no fucking wonder. Particularly when you compare it with the chart show, because by this time, the chart show has become much more important. It's more convivial to my viewing patterns. Because, you know, you would be lobbed out on a Saturday morning just glaring at the telly. Also, the chart shows served a better purpose because you would get a snatch of something that was never going to feature on Top of the Pops for about 20 seconds. And you go, fucking hell, that's all right. I might go out and buy that today. Mm. He's Mm. doing Top of the Pops' old job, the chart show. We need to cover one of them one time, I think. Mm All right. And that, pop craze youngsters, brings this episode of Chart Music to an end. Promotional flange. Website, www.chart-music.co.uk. Facebook.com slash Chart Music Podcast. Twitter, at Chart Music T-O-T-P. Money down the G-string. Patreon.com slash Chart Music. Don't forget, bonus episode with Neil and Sarah coming very soon. Thank you, Sarah B. Cheers. God bless you, Simon Price. You're welcome. My name's Martha Wash, and I'm going to sue the arse off Al Needham for using my voice without permission. (laughs) Chart music. April the 26th, 1982. An era began with the birth of the family of Sky. Good evening and welcome to the London office of Satellite Television. As you can see, we're having a party here tonight because tonight is a very special occasion for us all. We're celebrating the launch of Satellite Television's Sky Channel. From now on, we'll be transmitting five hours of family entertainment into cable homes in Norway, Finland, Switzerland, Germany, and from this evening into the United Kingdom. We'd like to say a very warm welcome to those of you who are watching on Thorny MI's cable network in Swindon. We hope that you're going to enjoy the Sky Channel. Hello, uh, Satellite Television and all our new viewers in Swindon. It's my great pleasure to be here today to open the new Sky Channel and let's hope we have lots of good news. Thank you very much, Kate. And will you now pull the ribbon? My pleasure.
Well, hey, how you doing? Welcome to the Young Free and Single Show. Here's a good video from Nick Kershaw. When a heart beats, phone calls after this. Who's that? Oh, no. You know the heavy metal group Venom? <laughs> the heavy metal group Venom are, yes. are, are standing in the entrance to the library there. I don't know what Venom are doing here at Skytrax. Sandra, I will send your uncles a Young Free and Single t-shirt each, and let's hope that works, and you have loads and loads of cousins. A great song, that, Nick Kershaw, When Our Heart Beats. Of course, uh, you probably have noticed well, our wonderful Christmas decorations. Are th these are... Yeah. Do you like the... Rubbish! What? Yeah, rubbish! What? Rubbish! Rubbish! Jimmy and Noddy from Slade. What? What? What are you doing? Leave our Christmas decorations! Whoa! Boys, hold it! Hold it! <laughs> What, what are you doing coming in here wrecking the studio? No, they're, they're awful. Listen, they're awful. I know you're guests on the programme. Don't you like our decorations? No. Rubbish. Yeah. Hang on a minute. What's wrong? Ronnie the Runner has got hold of a Tony Blackburn LP. He's showing Venom a Tony Blackburn LP, and they don't like it at all. <laughs> I'm not oh, Go on, Ronnie. He's, he showed them a, a Tony Blackburn LP, and they didn't like it, and he gave him a chance to get into the uh, video library, and uh, hopefully he, he's, he's got Nick Kershaw when a heart beats. This is Marillion, in communicator. Terrible. <laughs> oh, no! Huey Lewis and the news. You got a lot to sing about, a dream that's coming true. Five years on and going strong. 